The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. We're good. And we're up. Awesome, Sean. Good we're to up. see you. Uh, good to be back, Joe. Thanks. You're still it. alive. You've been eating uh, nothing but meat, and you're still alive. Dude, I am still alive. Fucking yeah. doubters be gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, Joe, before we get started, I just want to say thank you for, one, for the stem cell stuff, but also for, you know, just, just having the conversations that other people are not willing to have. And, you know, we've, I see where they try to cancel you and all the BS, and, and, you know, you didn't have to do that, but you, you know, let other people have discussions so we're not being censored. So just in case other people, have, I'm sure you've been told that. Before, well, thank but, you. I appreciate yeah. that. It's, yeah. a, it, it's a weird time, man. It it's, really it's, first of all, it's a weird time that a guy like me has a show. <laughs> Which is bizarre that this kind of, you know, that I'm a source of information in some sort of strange way because that's certainly not what I set out to do. Just along the line, I'm, you know, I'm curious. I wanted to talk to people, you know, including you and uh, this diet. And, you know, I tell people I, uh, I'm i not strict with uh, my carnivore diet. Like Saturday night I had sushi. But I'll tell you, I felt like shit afterwards. <laughs> I ate a ton of it. I ate so much. I'm a glutton. But uh, all that rice, I was like, oh. It just makes me realize like how much better I feel when I only eat carnivore. When I, when I just eat mostly meat, I feel so much better. I mean, uh, maybe it's anecdotal. Maybe it's just me and you maybe, and, and many other people that do it. But there's something to it. But you're an extreme example because you have been doing it now for how many years? So I'm starting my eighth year. So just, just, uh, eighth year. Yeah. So when I came to see you last time, it was almost, it was six years ago. So I, I had been just finished seven years now. So yeah, it's been a while. And people should know that you're, you're actually a doctor. You're an orthopedic surgeon and you didn't, didn't at one point in time, they took your license away because you were providing medical information, but you got it back. Yeah. It was kind of an interesting thing. So when I was, I was practicing medicine, busy orthopedic surgeon, you know, plugging away, doing a thing. And then I started realizing, Hey, I can have people avoid surgery by changing their diet, their pain went away. And I was like, you don't need surgery. Well, that is not what hospitals want you to do. They want you to, you know, keep the keep the, the engines turning, so to speak. And so I, you know, just said, hey, look, I want to practice some lifestyle stuff. And that ended up, you know, leading to a long battle with myself in the hospital. The hospital basically suspended my privileges and went to the state. The state said, hey, you can fight this. Um, you know, in, in our in our sort of state medical board situation, or you can get independently evaluated. And I said, well, let me just get independently evaluated because I don't, I don't, I don't see eye to eye with the hospital. And so that was done. It was like right at the time when I saw you a couple of days before and they came back and said, there's nothing wrong with you. Go back to work. And so I got that, I got that. And then I had to, you know, reapply to the board, reapply for a license. They re- granted my license and I've renewed it three times since then. So I'm a licensed medical, you know, licensed doctor, you know, uh, but I just, you know, right now I'm not actually actively practicing because I got frustrated with the medical system. I think our healthcare system has some serious, serious problems, you know, some serious conflicts of interest, some serious, I think the, the incentives for providing what I think is appropriate healthcare is, is misaligned. And so, you know, over the last few years, so we set up a company, which is called Rivero, and we're, we're licensed in all 50 states. We have physicians all across the country, and we're basically set up to provide what I call actual health care, root cause medicine, get people off the medications, actually, you know, try and fix their, their disease and not just medicate everybody. Because we have such a system where 
everybody's just like, you know, you go to the doctor, you know, here's your diagnosis, here's your drugs, keep stay on them the rest of your life, which I think yeah. is the wrong, the wrong course. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. What, what's the name of the company? So again? the company's called Rivero, R-E-V-E-R-O. And so we raise a bunch of money from, from crowdfunding and also a bunch of venture capitalists. And so... Uh, we've been we've been basically building that. We've got thousands of people that are basically on a waiting list. We launch in a couple of weeks, and so uh, you know, so like I said, it's going to be something that I think will provide healthcare as it should be. You know, instead of like I said, instead of the just the symptom management, putting band aids on stuff, actually getting people healthy, because I think a lot of diseases are, are reversible, and we've seen that all the time. You know, we see that pretty frequently. Well, that's one of the most fascinating things about this carnivore diet is how many albeit anecdotal stories you have of people that had all these different conditions, chronic pain, rheumatoid arthritis, chronic fatigue, all these different issues, skin issues, eczema, all these different things that they were treating with medication. It wasn't working. They were experiencing side effects. They start eliminating everything from their diet except for meat, and all of a sudden these problems go away. I mean, there's too many of those stories for it to be ignored. Yeah, it's it's. I've been astounded by the number of number of you know just crazy crazy things that have happened. And and again, it's not, you know, it's not that you know that is the the most profound rigorous type of type of science that you can do. But it's it, you can't ignore it at this point. There are literally probably hundreds of thousands of people now tried. I go over, I've been all over the world now talking about this. And I get people from Germany and Greece and, you know, China and Japan and Africa that have all done this. And they all say the same thing. Look, I was sick and now I'm not sick anymore. And so whether or not that is, you know, enough evidence to say this is, you know, a, a good treatment, you know, I can't say that, but you can't deny it's happening. And I'm, I've been trying to get research done. In fact, there was a study done out of Harvard University two years ago. I don't know if you saw that. So uh, there's a guy named David Ludwig, who is a senior author. And David, I've talked to him. He is the most ethical, you know, just like he does not want any money from industry. He refuses to take anything. He's like, I want to make sure I do pure science. And they did a study and they looked at 2,000 people on a carnivore diet. And basically what they saw was like 95% of the people, significant improvement across the board. Now, uh, the thing that was interesting to me is that diabetics, we had like 225 diabetics in that population, 92% of them came off all their insulin. These are all type 2s. You know? That's so that, insane. So that's, that's, you know, 100% came off all these other injectable drugs. There's GLP-1 receptor agonists, which we've heard so much about lately, you know, the ozempics and things like that. Semaglutide. Semaglutide, right. Came off uh, something called a PCSK9 inhibitor. No, sorry, the SGLT2 inhibitors. 84% uh, came off their metformin. So it's just like, this is cl clearly a... Uh, at least at, at the very least a therapeutic tool and that's how I push this I don't tell like you know I wrote a book on this I didn't say humans are carnivores I said humans are opportunistic omnivores if we were if we were living in the middle ages and we came across we we're out hunting mammoths and all of a sudden you know the ice ages were out and we came across a, a tree full of tr tree full of Twinkies I mean we'd play oh shit I'm gonna eat that you know, we'd, try, <laughs> right? we'd eat it right because you know we would but I mean yeah. it's and, and you know there's people there's obviously people that eat plants that aren't dead and are doing okay so we're omnivores but from a disease, you know, mitigation standpoint, I mean, a, ther a therapeutic carnivore diet is tremendously effective. I mean, it's one of the more effective things I've seen across the board. And so, at the very least, you know, you'd say, let's explore that aspect of it. Because, you know, like I said, there's people that are suffering. And we've got so many people. I know we, we may talk about vegan, carnivore, all the, you know, everything in between. But I think at the end of the day, it's everybody's eating processed garbage. I mean, we're, eating, yes. we're just eating bullshit. I mean, and, and that is really... 
one of the problems and the and the one thing and you said this joe when you eat just meat you're like i don't want that other bullshit because yeah. you're, you're you're actually satiated and this is a thing that's i think problematic because if you look at issue there was a study that just came out now looking at um the financial incentive for ultra processed food why do we have this stuff so you look at the big uh asset management groups you know you've got blackrock you got vanguard you've got uh, state street uh and capital and i can't remember the, the full names on these but but those guys collectively own huge portions of Nestle, PepsiCo, all these other processed food companies. And they also have they also have significant shares in pharmaceutical manufacturers. So you basically you sicken the population by feeding them garbage, and then you just you 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 profit on their on their disease. And I think that's what's going on. And I think it's really unfortunate, you know. And I think you know some people make an argument, you know, is it is a net is there a net benefit from feeding more people versus how many people are getting sick? And I think there's a point where, you know, the line goes, you know, if if, if, every, if most people are getting sick from this and only a few people are benefiting, then you've, you've kind of crossed that line of, you know, does it, does it, is it for the greater good? And then it becomes, you know, the realm of almost evil in my, in my mind. Well, I think it started out with just trying to make money. I sure, mean, that's, sure. that's what started out with the processed foods. And I think then they realized, well, now you're, you're selling more medication to these people. So you make more money on top of that more money. I don't even think it's a conspiracy. I think it's just opportunity. I think they just look at profits, and that's what these corporations are established for. Their, their bottom line is they're supposed to make as much money as they can for their shareholders. Yep. That's their responsibility. Their responsibility is to have like a cute cartoon guy that sells you sugary cereal. Because, you know, when I was a kid, that's what I wanted. I want Cocoa Pops. Right, I yeah. wanted Frank Captain and, Frank Crunch. Frankenberry. All that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why all that garbage is like, it's so addictive. It's so delicious, you know, and it's uh, clearly targeted for young people. Clearly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that paper that I, that I talked about, and I think, I, you know, it's in that list that I give Jamie, but um, it basically says this is the whole thing. They they make tremendous short term profits for their for their shareholders, and, and that's yeah. why they do it. So it, yeah, it's clearly financially driven. You can't blame them. I mean, this is what any business wants exactly. to do. It wants to be successful. So exactly. It's, it's about making money, like everything is really. Yeah, that's what they do. I think the cutting the bullshit out is the biggest factor in this whole carnivore diet thing. I really do. I mean, I I, I definitely think there's there's obviously meat itself. Regardless of the bullshit and the propaganda, meat is the most nutrient-dense food you can eat. All this crap where they say that meat causes cancer. If meat caused cancer, most people would have cancer. 95-plus percent of the population on Earth eats meat. And all this propaganda you hear about, you know, you're going to get cancer, you're, you're gonna, diseases are going to go, all these different things. It does not seem to be the case in people that just eat meat. When you're looking at my experience, I have not, and again, anecdotal, I've never met anybody that went on this diet that didn't have a positive result. Everybody that I know that goes on this diet, now clearly, there's g genetic differences. Some people have, uh, well, definitely there's people that have that um, Lone Star Tick issue, where a, a buddy of mine has that. He got, he got bit by a tick, and he developed an allergy to red meat. It's a real pain in the ass for him, and it went away. He he had it for a year, and it went away, and it started to come back again. Um, that, but that's rare. For most people, red meat is a very nutrient dense food. Yeah, that's 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 absolutely clear. I mean, and and your point is, you know, if you get rid of the garbage, 
you're going to have you're going to have a benefit whatever diet you go on i think that's clear and you know when we talk about because you mentioned you're not totally strict i am you know fairly strict but i'm not religious about it i don't sit there like you know for instance my my son's birthday was you know a couple of days ago on thanksgiving cake? i had some i had a piece of pumpkin pie man nice. so i had you know i hadn't had, had that in 10 years but i'm like you know no big deal i didn't die but it's not like i said my diet literally is probably 98% red meat. I mean, I just I just eat steaks every day. You know, it's yeah. kind of crazy. You know? Well, the videos are hilarious of yeah. you eating steaks, listening to vegan propaganda. Yeah. Just yeah. you have a big cutting board and a giant cleaver, and you're slicing off pieces of tri-tip while you're watching vegan propaganda and smiling. Yeah, it's pretty fun to do that stuff. And I, I definitely, uh, you know, like I said, if there's anybody that has, you know, like I said, if I'm wrong, I mean, it'll be clear that I've been eating meat like significantly for, for, for many, many years. I've put a lot of that on, on video. But, you know, one of the interesting thing is, you know, because the backlash you often hear is what about cholesterol? Because I think that is yeah. a really important thing. I really wanted to talk about that. Yeah, awesome. Because there's some, you know, I, I think you saw the thing about the Oreo cookies. Did you see that? Yes, too? I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, let's talk about that. So anyway, there's a, so... There's a little backstory on this, and, and last time I mentioned a guy named Dave Feldman, and he was, he was a guy that you know, he's an engineer, pretty smart guy, and he like goes on a, like a, a low carb, you know, higher fat diet, and his cholesterol, he feels great. He's like, oh my god, everything feels great, but his cholesterol shoots through the roof, and he's like, oh my god, I'm going to die, right? So he's freaked out about this stuff, and he starts looking into it very mechanistically and spending years and years and years studying this stuff, and finally puts together this sort of theory. And it's still theory, but it's it's they're showing that there's a lot of evidence showing that it's probably likely true called the lean mass hyper responder, and there's something called a lipid energy model. And so, what this Oreo cookie thing was is another guy, is another researcher. He's a PhD from Oxford. He's getting he's also a, a, a finishing his medical degree at Harvard, and his name's Nick Norwitz. And he basically said, look, this lipid energy model works like this: when you cut carbs low and you get lean, right? Your body says, hey, there's not a lot of energy in my cells. My liver glycogen isn't full. My muscles aren't full of energy. So I need to get energy there somehow. And so what happens is the liver starts sending fat out into the bloodstream like to, 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 so you have energy to work, right? And so what, what he's showing is that if I just add Oreo cookies or some other energy-dense, maybe junk food in there, um, the body will say, hey, I've got plenty of energy now, so the liver shuts down. It doesn't traffic the cholesterol anymore, or the triglycerides and, tri tri uh, and the cholesterol. So that sort of validates what's going on here. And so, the, But the question is, is it bad if my cholesterol is really high, but I'm fit, I'm lean, my, you know, I don't have diabetes, I don't have prediabetes, I don't have insulin resistance, I don't have high blood pressure, you know, I'm, I'm otherwise metabolically healthy, because you see these people. So you see they're, they're lean athletes, you know, they go on a diet, like a carnivore diet or even a ketogenic diet, and they're like, I feel great. It's the best I've felt in years, but my cholesterol's through the roof, so i got to stop. And so that's the real question. So on December 8th, there's going to be a, a landmark study that's going to be prevent, presented by a guy named Matt Budoff, who's a, who's a uh, cardiologist out of UCLA. I think he's, one of the UC, he's, a, he's attached to UCLA somewhere. And basically what they did was they took 100 people, all who have sky-high cholesterol, we're talking like total cholesterol, 500, 600, 700 milligrams per deciliter. It's enough to give your, your doctor a heart attack. You know, you walk in there with your cholesterol, it's like 600, what the hell? So he's got all these patients, they're that. They are all otherwise metabolically healthy, though. None of them are diabetics. None of them have blood, blood pressures. They're relatively lean. And what they did was they did high-level CT angiography, these people, looking really detailed at how much plaques in their blood vessel. And then they're all older guys. They're like... 
average age like our age, like mid-50s, like mid-late 50s, right? So this is where you'd expect to start seeing heart disease. And when they did that scan, almost none of them had any level of significant you know, vascular disease. They were like clean, clean arteries. And so, so what, and what they're doing is they're running them for a year and then they're gonna repeat the study, right? And say, in one year has anything occurred? Now the criticism of that will be that, oh, it takes 20 years to do that. But Matt Budoff is like the world leading expert on how fast vascular disease develops, right? And so he's a guy that designed the study. He, he, he knows this stuff. And so he said a year will show us for sure if vascular disease is gonna occur. So what they're doing, on the 8th, is there, they're showing the preliminary data that shows all these people have n- almost no heart disease, and they compare it to something called the My heart, Miami Heart uh, data set, which is like, like, the, the, like the, the perfect data set for if you want to compare what's going on with vascular disease. And so in February, they'll finish up uh, the collection of data, and then we'll get to see what happens after a year. Now, I suspect what will happen is they'll show no progression, little progression, or even reversal, which would be shocking because all these people are saying cholesterol causes heart disease. Because if you listen, you know, listen to guys like, because I know you've got Peter on here, Peter T on here, and he says, look, it's just a matter of how much cholesterol over how much time. If it's high for a long period of time, you're going to get heart disease. But if this turns out to be what it, what what I think it's going to show, which, which it likely will show, then that throws a monkey wrench in that whole, whole uh, theory because it's like, wait a minute, maybe it's a dependent variable. Maybe if you're not fat, you know, out of shape, have high blood pressure and diabetes, that that LDL cholesterol being high is not as much of a problem as we thought it was, which is, I mean, that's really, I mean, that's that's paradigm shifting, quite honestly. Where did the theory of LDL cholesterol being bad for you come from? Well, I mean, that goes back into the, I mean, when they started looking at cholesterol, this is in rabbits, way back in like the 1920s or something like that. They started feeding rabbits high cholesterol diets and the rabbits got heart disease. Well, rabbits don't really eat high cholesterol No, they don't. They don't. really. It's an unnatural diet for them. But they they started looking at, you know, the associational data started out back in the 50s when Eisenhower had his heart attack and everybody's freaking out because, you know, we we saw a rise in, in heart disease, you know, 1940s, 1950s. And it's been, you know, it's been a number one killer in Western uh, population since then. And so a guy named Ansel Keys was one of the, one of the ones that started uh, promoting that theory. They did, you know, associational studies where they say, well, look at these countries. They eat a lot of saturated fat and they have a high cholesterol and they die more, more commonly out of heart disease. Um, and so that, that basically data has been done over and over again. I mean, they've done uh, Mendelian randomization studies, which there are some problems with the, those, those types of things. They've done... Um, you know, studies where they can show that, you know, we can lower cholesterol and cardiovascular disease decreases. So we know that, you know, that's the whole premise behind statin drugs. Some people think it's a pleomorphic effect or it's like a side effect, like maybe it's decreasing the inflammation. And by decreasing the inflammation, you're actually improving heart disease. But there's been, I mean, there, I mean, there's a ton of evidence that would point to, yes, that is what's going on. Now, what I would say is, again, you're looking at a general population. And, and the other thing is all-cause mortality. So clearly there's a lot of evidence that points to, like, like normally they like your total cholesterol below, like, 190, LDL below 100, something like that. But if we look at, like, population studies and all-cause mortality, cancer, uh, heart disease, uh, dementia, infectious disease, so on and so forth, the people with higher cholesterol actually live longer. They, they're, they're the ones that live longer. And so the question is, you know, maybe I won't get a heart attack, but I'm going to get cancer instead because my cholesterol is too low, perhaps. Now, the critics of that will say it's reverse causality. It's like, well, the only reason your cholesterol was low was because you had cancer, right? And cancer is making your, your cholesterol go down. Because 
cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, and some of the other lipoproteins actually have a function. They, they participate in our immune response. So there, it's there for a reason. It's not just for the hell of it, right? We, we have a right. reason for this stuff. Um, and so, that, you know, but there's a, I mean, there's a, a plethora of studies on this stuff. Some of it's been paid for by the pharmaceutical industries, which, you know, of course, there's a little bit of conflict of interest in, in some of that, you know, I would imagine. Um, but again, if you talk to 99% of the cardiologists, they'll, they'll be on board with this. But like I said, this sort of population, which we never studied, we have no data on these people. You know, it's like, like, like if you go on a carnivore diet, and Joe, I know, I know you've gotten lean, you feel good, probably your blood pressure is good, probably your... You know your uh, your glucose is good. Is that mean it's dangerous for you? And and the answer is we don't know yet. But this this study will shed a ton of light on this. And so this is coming out. Like I said, the preliminary data December eighth when Budoff presents to the to the, the big conference, and then and then when they finish the collecting the all, the full data in February, and they'll probably publish that probably spring summer or something like Are that. Are you aware of any of the results? I'm aware of the preliminary data. Right. And, and they're, they're I talked to the researchers and they're like, man, we don't they know the results, but they don't want to share it because they don't want, they don't want the cat getting out of the bag early. But it's going to we're going to get it on December 8th. And basically it's going to what I what I think I'm 90 percent certain what it's going to show is people with super high cholesterol that are otherwise super lean and healthy compared to the average population have less risk for cardiovascular disease based on this data. That's what I think is going to happen. Now, we'll know for sure on December 8th when Budoff presents. There's also an issue with dietary cholesterol and what dietary cholesterol, how it shows up in the body. People yeah. have this assumption that when you consume dietary cholesterol, it raises b cholesterol that you can measure in the blood. Yeah, that's that's been shown to be completely... Uh, in fact, 2015, USDA said, no, cholesterol does not cause elevated cholesterol in the blood. That's been shown not to be the case. Now, which is will, fascinating. Which is fascinating. Right? But they'll say, what they will say is saturated fat, which often runs with cholesterol, because the only reason, only place you get cholesterol is in animal products. And very often, you'll get saturated fat in animal products. And so they'll say, but it's, it's not the cholesterol, but it's actually the saturated fat. But we know that saturated fat was demonized by the sugar industry. Yeah. In I mean, that bullshit study that they put put out in the 1960s where they paid these guys the equivalent of $50,000 today to lie. Yeah, I mean that's that that's clearly that clearly happened. That was Harvard University where they basically took a bunch of money to basically demonize fat and, and protect sugar. And I think that's been going on for Which is for wild. Long. The sugar yep. industry bribed those doctors yep. and that information has been the basis that people have been making recommendations on forever on a fraudulent study. And still to this day, doctors will cite that not knowing it. And when you tell them about it, they're like, what are you talking about? And then you'll show, you pull it up on Google and they just go, huh, what is this? Yeah. Like there's so many doctors that aren't aware that the demonization of saturated fat was specifically caused by these papers, by these doctors that were bribed. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it, it, it is crazy to think uh, how much, you know, I, you know, you'd think that science would be a quest to find the truth or, or to explain the observations around us. But a lot of times, you know, science now is marketing. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's paid for companies that are going to benefit from this. You know, you think about a lot of these academic institutions, a lot of their funding comes through industry and, and they don't get funding if they don't get the results that they're, they're, they're getting paid for. It's so. even more insidious than that because the people that are involved in the FDA eventually go and work for these corporations, which is so yeah. wild. When you see that happen and you go, oh, my God, there's a clear revolving door. It's not like shell corporations or some secret hidden money 
overseas. No, it's like right in front of your face. These people work for the government. They make these laws and they make these recommendations and then they go on to get these incredible jobs where they get paid lucrative amounts of money. Yeah, golden like, parachutes, right? Yeah, it's like, crazy it's, that that's legal. It's not only, I mean, as you probably know, like the FDA, I mean, corporate capture, I mean, the FDA, for new drug, for new drug uh, approvals, it's like 65% of that budget comes from the pharmaceutical industry and it, itself. So they're like, they're paying to regulate themselves. And it's so it's wild. like, so it's kind of crazy. And the USDA is not any different, you know, because we talk about our right. food stuff. I mean, these guys that go on to become, you know, executive, you know, uh, big people in the USDA often do the same thing. They'll go on to these food companies and they'll, mm -hmm. have, they'll have the same sort of situation. And so. Dirty business. Yeah. Here's, a, I'll tell you, here's an interesting thing. So I've been trying. So like Harvard recently came out with a study, nonsense epidemiology that red meat is contributing to diabetes, increase your risk for diabetes. Right. Yeah. And this is a study done by Harvard. Walter Willett is has been the chair he's been vegetarian he's been he's been conflicted for years but basically what they did was they said well we're going to count lasagna as red meat we're going to count sandwiches as red meat <laughs> and the people that eat red meat are they're overweight they're smokers we didn't really correct for that so it's but the headline is red meat causes diabetes meanwhile you got a study that you know that, that harvard did three years ago with david ludwig says look these people are eating nothing but red meat and their diabetes is going away how can those two things coexist well what I'm trying to do is get an interventional study done. So I, you know, it's kind of interesting because this is how far what I think the the problem is. So I went to something called the NCBA. This is the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. This is supposed to represent all the cattle producers in the United States, right? And there's something called the Beef, beef Checkoff. You remember that? Beef, it's what's for dinner. You remember mm -hmm. that thing? It was like Robert Mitchum back in 92. And then I think uh, Sam Elliott. They got great voices, right? You know, beef, yeah. it's what's for dinner. You know, that, that type of thing. So this is what they're supposed to do. So they collect... As part of the beef checkoff, like every time a cow moves in the United States, like if you're a cattle rancher and you sell your cow, you got to pay a dollar. If it goes to a, you know, if it goes to a slaughter facility, it's got to pay a dollar. If it goes to a feed yard, it's got to got to pay a dollar. So this is, so every year, and there's like roughly we slaughter about 34 million head of cattle every year in the United States. Which, you know, interestingly, India slaughters more cattle than we do, which I didn't know that, but it's they do. Yeah, they have, they slaughter 38 million head of cattle every year. And you think about India, that's like they're all vegetarian and eating cows. They export most of that, but they have they have the biggest uh, herd of cattle in the world in India. There's 300 million head of cattle in India. That's insane. I thought. Yeah. So United I thought States are sacred. That, well, they are in, in some in, in some parts of India, right? But they they actually slaughter more cattle in in India than we do in the United States, um, and they export most a lot of it. There's something like southern India. They still eat, they'll eat a little bit of beef. In fact, there's a lot of carnivores in India right now. It's kind of crazy. I get. I, I did conferences in India, and it's just like, wow, it's kind of a growing movement down there. But back to the point, so so we've got this beef checkoff system. So every cattle rancher, they pay a buck, right? And and then so at the end of the year, they collect $30, $40, $50 $50 million a year. It's supposed to be to promote beef, like beef, it's what's for dinner, to do research and all that stuff. And so I, you know, the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, which is represents the cattle producers, but the NCBA represents Cargill and Tyson and the packing things and so there's a little conflict between that uh, But they have all the money and I and I went to those guys to the beef checkoff and I said hey look We want to spend a little bit of money to do a study on beef versus diabetes because we know the results are going to be the, the people are going to They're going to go on an all-meat diet or a close to all-meat diet and their diabetes is going to go away it's, it's, it's simple and it takes all the confusion out because whenever you do a, you know You hear all these dietary studies. It's like oh, but he was eating hamburgers and french fries and there's all this confounder right. So and it's like you can't really test it. I'm like 
The perfect way to test if meat is healthy or not is to just put them on a damn carnivore diet and see what happens. It's the only way to test right, it. Right, if you do yeah. an epidemiology study right, and right. you don't account for sugar, sugar right, drink, right, Coca-Cola, right. bread, pasta, lasagna. Yeah, that's exactly, that's what Harvard did recently. They didn't account for sugar intake when they said beef causes diabetes. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You're not even counting sugar. That's so crazy. Right, but they but they get this published and this is really bad science, you know, and, and, and guys like uh, John Anitis, who's, a, who's a, one of the most cited scientists in the world, has basically said, all this epidemiology we're doing, we're just wasting money. It's not telling us anything. This is all garbage. But they keep doing it over and over again because they generate headlines, you know, the headlines right. they want. But anyway, back to this beef checkoff thing. So I, I, I said, hey, look, you know, every year you award money, you know, hundreds of thousands, you know, tens of millions of dollars to promote beef. I said, let's get a little bit of money to do a research study on diabetes. And they literally said, no, we're not interested in doing that. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. The beef industry is taking a beating right now. You know, you, you listen to it. It's like... Um, you know, everybody wants to get rid of beef. It's there. The cow farts are boiling the oceans and, uh, yeah, it's going to kill you. It's going to give you cancer, which all of it's just largely nonsense. And this is a, you know, in my view, this type of study would clearly, clearly demonstrate, um, that not only does beef not cause diabetes. In fact, I talked to the CEO of the NCBA two years ago. I sat down, I, I presented in front of the California Cattlemen's Association and, and literally the president of the association stood up and said, I went on a carnivore diet and cured my diabetes. It's like, yeah, it's clear. And the guy said, yeah, I get it. We're going to help you out. We're going to get this going. I didn't hear, I heard nothing from these guys. So what I think is going on is the USDA kind of oversees all these checkoffs. And they just kind of say, look, you can't say that because we want to promote, you know, because again, they have all these processed food lobbies, Nabisco and PepsiCo sitting on the, you know, they're on the board. And they're like, if we promote this one food and people stop eating all this processed food, right? then what are we going to do? We're going to lose a lot of money. You think about it, you know, not that I'm advocating that everybody go on a carnivore diet because I don't think that's, I don't think it's necessary from, you know, for, for one. But if you significantly cut back on all these people consuming all this garbage, you know, what, what does that do economically to this country? I mean, you think about it, how much money is spent on garbage food, the drugs that are needed mm. to be treated. You're talking, I mean, we spent four, $4.3 trillion a year on, on healthcare in this country, and what do we get for it? We got one of the sickest populations in the world, our life expectancy is going down, everybody's fat, everybody's depressed, everybody's on drugs, you know, it's crazy. It is crazy, and it's crazy that they don't look to diet as being the primary cause of that. Or if they do, they look to these epidemiology studies that don't take into account exactly what you're eating with the meat. Why is it meat that's always demonized? Well, I think, for a number of reasons. One, if you go back to like dietetics in the beginning, like back in 1917, the American Dietetics Association was formed. This was formed literally by Seventh-day Adventists. So that from the very, very beginning, the creation of the nutrition science field, the Seventh-day Adventists who are, you know, religiously reg vegetarians, you know, you go back to uh, like uh, the Kellogg's brothers, you know, John Harvey Kellogg, where he's out there you know, uh, circumcising females and saying we got we can't eat meat because it's going to make you have sex and make you have lust and masturbate. This is all like this religious stuff. And then it got people know, don't know that, but they, yeah. they should know yeah, that, yeah. that he developed this cereal, this bland cereal right, right. to discourage masturbation. Which is one of the wildest things I have ever heard. Yeah, that guy was a wacko, man. He was yeah, in there fucking wild giving, dude. He was giving himself like high pressure enemas every day. It was just like <laughs> fucking twenty gallons a minute enemas because he thought that was really. Something. Yeah, he was a wacko. He was a really nutty guy. You read about some of his twenty stuff. gallon enemas. It was, it was some ridiculous like super high capacity 
like a super soaker on steroids thing. Are enemas bad for you? Because I've always wondered if your internal <laughs> gut flora is important, and it is. Isn't that getting washed out? I think to some degree it is. I don't know that anybody's really looked at it from that angle, but uh, I, you know, I, I think in some cases, like you know, some people's got some problems with constipation, it could be helpful. But I don't think it's generally a healthy practice for most. But I know there's people that are like. Like putting weird stuff up their butt, man. It's just kind of it's like I think it probably like feels good. It Get might flushed yeah. out. It might. It well, might it also good. makes you see everything come out of you. I guess I've yeah, never done yeah. it, but yeah, apparently there's a tube, and they look at it. Oh, look, here's your problems. Yeah, it's kind of like these. There's this thing these crazy vegans do where they um, they they consume like uh, like this charcoal and this jelly and stuff, and they, they, this kind of gruel mix. And then it kind of like fills up their intestines and they poop it all out and they say, that's, that's clearing out all my intestines. I can't remember what they call it, but it's like, there's these crazy, crazy videos where they're just pulling all this like gelatinous black stuff out of their butt, but it's like, you just ate all that stuff. That's what's coming out of you. It's not oh, like look it's... all the toxins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just ate that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you just ate the same stocks. People are obsessed out. with that term, like releasing the toxins. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they really think that that's what's happening when you sweat you get in the sauna, you're releasing the toxins. Like when you're sweating, your body's regulating your heat temperature. Yeah, that's what's going on. You know what clears your toxins? Your fucking liver. Yeah. That's what that thing's for. Yeah, liver, kidneys. Yeah, we got a pretty good detox system for yeah. sure. You don't, you don't need all the smoothie, juice fast detoxes. You know, it's like some of the people are de detoxing when their teeth fall off. They're detoxing their teeth. <laughs> well, the, the other thing is with, with the smoothie thing is, my God, you're getting so much sugar. And you're getting it in a weird form. Yeah. If you're in eating fruit smoothies, you're getting you're getting sugar in a very unnatural form. Fruit juices, we used to think that fruit juices are really good for you. Most doctors would agree that fruit juices are very high in sugar. Yeah. And to get it in that sort of liquid dose where it just goes right into your fucking bloodstream and your liver, that's a lot of sugar, man. Well, you think about it because Joe, you like you're out hunting all the time, and you know you go, when you're going out and you're like, if I had to get food out here, what would I what would I have available to, to to eat? I can tell you what you wouldn't you wouldn't have all this processed food, but particularly like like powder, you know, like we make powdered sugar, we make powdered flour, and we we, we combine them together, but we've changed the nature of the food so much that it's interesting. You know, I saw uh, Darius Muzaffarian, who's a researcher at Tuft, who he's the guy to put out the study that says, uh, or was part of the study that said, you know, like. Uh, uh, Lucky Charms are healthier than than eggs. You saw that like, yes. last year. That's total BS, right? Hilarious. But one thing he did point out was that, like, over the last twenty years or so, we haven't really been eating much more calories than we were. Like from the nineteen sixties to about two thousand, we ate more calories, and maybe that explains why everybody got fat. But since that time, we really haven't eaten much more. But we've eaten so much more ultra processed food. And in fact. Right now, the U.S. diet is close to 70% ultra-processed, which you think about. It, it's like crazy, and our kids are getting fat. But one thing that's interesting is like, you know, because you, you're talking about the microbiome, right, our, our gut flora. Um, when you eat like whole food, you know, it goes farther down your digestive tract, and then, you know, our microbiome actually consumes some of it. Up to 22% up to of our calories can be consumed by our, by our microbiome. But when you're just eating sugar, it goes straight in you. So those calories, your, your gut microbiome doesn't get any of that. So you're, you're, it's like you're absorbing more calories. Mm. So just by changing the quality of the food, you're changing how many calories you absorb. And that is what some people say is part of what leads to this obesity thing. But we know, like, for instance, well, here, here's another thing. USDA came out with a study like, I don't know, three months ago, 91% processed food diet is healthy. 
know, that's what this is what they're pushing, trying to trying to get us because they're trying to position us to what say. What was this study? This was the USDA put it out. It was probably I think it was the Nova study. I think I've got I might have that on there, Jamie. But um, it's um, it's basically because there's, there's there's some there's starting to be backlash against ultra processed fruits. I mean, I, like. South America is starting to ban this stuff, which I think, you know, I, I'm not I'm not for banning food. I mean, I think that gets into, you know, freedom of choice and things like yeah. that. So you shouldn't ban. Just like you can still smoke if you want to. You know, it's not the best for you, so you don't want to do that. But at the same point, you know, they're saying, like, this stuff is, there's a lot of backlash. And like people like myself and probably you and others just saying, look, this ultra-processed garbage is literally killing us. It's making us crazy. It's making us depressed. All these people with mental health disorders, uh, a lot of that nutrition is part of that, and we can talk about that. But you know what? What they're seeing is there's a backlash against that. Yeah, so that's a Nova. Nova dietary stuff. guidelines meet Nova, developing a menu for a healthy dietary pattern using ultra processed. Yeah, foods. so they're basically saying, hey, how do we make people eat more processed food and, and make it quote unquote healthy? And they showed that they can make a diet that's like 91% ultra processed foods and still be quote unquote healthy. Look at it says here. It says the purpose of this proof of concept study was to determine the feasibility of building a menu that aligns with the recommendations for a healthy dietary pattern from the 2020 DGA and includes a over 80% what is that KCAL kilocalories kilocalories from UPF ultra processed foods as defined by Nova designed to accomplish this objective. We first developed a list of foods that fit Nova criteria for UPF. Uh, ultra-processed foods, fit within a dietary patterns in the 2020 DGA and are commonly consumed by Americans. We then use these foods to develop a set, what is that, what is that 7D? What does that mean? Seven day. Seven, seven day. day. Seven day, 2,000 kilocalorie menu modeled on the My Pyramid sample menus and assess this menu for nutrient content as well as for diet, diet quality using the Healthy Eating Index. The results in the ultra-processed DGA menu uh, that was created, 91% of the kilocalories were from ultra-processed food or Nova Category 4. The HEI 215 score was 86 out of a possible 100 points. The sample menu did not achieve a perfect score due primarily to excess sodium and an insufficient amount of whole grains. This menu provided adequate amounts of all macro and micronutrients except vitamin D, vitamin E, and choline. Conclusions. Healthy dietary patterns can include most of their energy from ultra-processed foods, still receive a high diet quality score, and contain adequate amounts of most macro and micronutrients. Boy. Right. So remember, USDA, the guys that go there, they leave USDA and they go sit on on Mm. the board of directors at Nabisco and PepsiCo. And so this is really, I think, what this is. It's positioning us. It's positioning us as a society to accept that ultra-processed foods are our food. It's, it's, it's really human pet food. I mean, you, you see what happens to our pets. Yes. And, and everybody's fat, so we're going to still eat, We're going to say, well, it's still okay. If it's okay if you eat your you know, your human dog chow or your human chow, just keep keep doing that. Don't ask questions. And, oh, by the way, here's an azempic shot or a semaglutide shot. Well, semaglutide shot will give you to, to kind of keep you chilled out. So it's, it's really, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost sinister in a way. It's very bizarre. It's very bizarre that this isn't challenged, and that shows you how captured our food industry really is. The fact that that's not challenged, the fact that uh, our health guidelines aren't set on, hey, what you should be eating is what human beings are designed to eat in nature. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, which is real food. I mean, I you know my opinion on dietary guidelines because we have a USDA that meets every five years. And and, and by the way, so the USDA diet, dietary guidelines panel. Did you see? There's a physician from from Harvard named uh, uh, Fatima Stanford, right? And she went on 60 Minutes and said. Obesity has nothing to do with diet. It has nothing to do with exercise. It's all gen- disease and genetic, and there's nothing you can literally do. And and really, and she's also sponsored by Nova Nordisk, who makes Ozempic, right? And she's on there. And she's also a member of the U.S. Dietary Guidelines Panel. So 95% of the people that sit on the U.S. Dietary Guidelines Panel today, for this next one where they're going to come up for the 2025 guidelines, all have financial ties to processed food companies, Gosh. which I mean, you think about it, it's just like this is crazy. So, That's so wild. So if you go to like Brazil, like Brazil's dietary guidelines, or at least the one they released a few years ago, it was like, here's what you should do: um, cook at home, don't eat processed foods, and and eat with people around that, that you love. That that's their literally that is their recommendation, which mm. I think is better than our guidelines because, you know, I mean, if left to our own, you know, I mean, we are now being told we got to eat all this garbage, and it's just making us it's just making us sick. It's crazy, and I think you know, like, you know, I mean, it's like this is the most. Can you remember a time? Because you and I grew up the same time. We we're like, I turned fifty seven in six weeks, and yeah, fifty six. So we're, we grew up the same time back when we were kids. I mean, it's like when we were kids. We all watched the same fucking shows because there was nothing else on, right? There was mm-hmm. what, the CBS, ABC, NBC, and, and maybe like PBS, right? And maybe a local news station. That's all you had. So we we're all watching Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch and mm-hmm. Dukes of Hazards and Charlie's Angels and stuff like that. And everybody had the same thing. But now it's so fractionated. Everybody's divided. I mean, I, I don't know. If, I can't remember a time when this country's been more divided. I mean, can you? I no. mean, it's just like every single issue. Palestine, Israel, uh, you know, COVID shot, not shot, um, climate change, no climate change. It's like everything's a war. It's like crazy. But I think part of that is, I mean, I don't think half people's brains work anymore. I mean, because we're, we're just so nutrient deprived. I think that's really true. And it sounds crazy to say because people, oh, that's not it. No, it's social media. It's this. I think the mental health aspects of social, social media, which are significant, there's, yeah. there's real mental health issues sure. involved in these posts and commenting and seeking things that outrage you. I think it's exacerbated by people's poor physical health. Oh, sure, sure. It's it's you know I'm going to go back to mental health a little bit. So there is a another guy at Harvard. His name's Dr. Chris Palmer. He's, he's a good dude. He's like an Indiana country boy, but he's at Harvard, and he just wrote a book called Brain Energy, where he talks about how nutrition and metabolism significantly affect mental health disorders. And you know we've got something like 25 percent of Americans are on a drug for mental health, which is insane. I mean, it's like how the hell do we do we make it through millions of years? as a species, you know, or hundreds of thousands of years, rather. But what they've shown, in one study they showed that, you know, they took like uh, 30 people that were inpatient, like psychotic, I mean, schizophrenia, manic bipolar disorder, major depressive disorder, and they changed their diet. They put them on, uh, you know, a clean diet, you know, kind of a a lower-carb diet, and all of them, every single one of them saw significant improvement in their mental health. And so, but you know, what do we do now? You know, if you go to like rehab, drug rehab, or you, you, you put somebody in, a, in, in an institution, they just feed them garbage mm-hmm. and they just keep them perpetuating this horrible uh, well, when bright, you go to the brain. hospital. Yeah, the hospitals are horrible. Hospitals is terrible food. <laughs> Yeah, they give yeah. you garbage. They give you little fucking things, applesauce and yeah, cheeseburgers. Yeah, yeah, like pancakes with syrup and an orange juice yeah. and, and some jello, like the, the crappy jello that they always yeah, get. Yeah, it's all bad for you. You yeah. don't get grass fed steak. No, no, no. No, yeah. it's fiber. This is yeah. this is another thing that always comes up when when I tell people that I eat only meat. What yeah. about fiber? Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's a that's a good that's a good topic. And and so what I would say is fiber is conditionally beneficial. So if you're eating a standard diet, yeah, you're gonna need. You're, if you put fiber, fiber really is a marker for uh, diet quality, right? So if I'm if I'm some poor guy and I'm eating this potato chips and cookies, I don't get a lot of fiber. If I got a little more money, I'm probably buying the fruits and vegetables, probably out of guilt. But it but it generally represents higher socioeconomic status. Uh, better overall diet quality, and and I think it's beneficial in that situation. But if you go like, is it providing anything that I can't get from meat? So there was a study that uh, uh, a guy named Tommy Wood and the other other uh, researcher was Mailer. I can't remember her first name is female. They did a study looking at um, what happens to the microbiome because we're always hearing, oh, you need fiber to feed your microbiome, right? right. You need those short chain fatty acids. You need the uh, the butyrate or the butyric acid. Well, they looked at that and they said, look, the gut has our gut has incredible metabolic flexibility. And so even in the absence of fiber, you can get the same short train fatty acids from protein. You can get it from being in a low carb state where you have, you know, more ketones being produced because, you know, the, the, the main ketone that's in our blood is called beta hydroxybutyrate, which is very similar to butyric acid. It's only one, you know, hydroxyl molecule away and it, it reverses all the time. So they indicated that that you know, we don't need fiber for that particular aspect. And the other thing, there was a recent study, because um, I see, what I see is so many autoimmune conditions. You know, you know, like, I know you've talked to Jordan and Michaela, and, you know, mm-hmm. you've seen these crazy autoimmune conditions, which I've seen in the thousands now. It's crazy, like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, psoriasis, rheumatoid arthritis, eczema, asthma, uh, you know, anything. Um, that there was a study looking at fiber actually exacerbating problems with rheumatoid arthritis because of its interaction with a particular bacteria called Prevotella coprii, I think, or something like that. And so we're seeing, yeah, so high fiber diet synergizes and exacerbates rheumatoid arthritis. So basically, you know, it's showing that, yeah, I mean, there can be problems with fiber for a lot of people, particularly if they have these issues. And so... So when people say that fiber is beneficial, what they're essentially saying is that if you have a poor diet, if you have a a diet that's rich in ultra-processed foods and garbage, fiber would be beneficial to you because it would help. What does it do? It helps. Well, I think push it's, I think it's displa- I think it's displacing the garbage off the plate, right? So if you uh-huh. if you load your plate up with fruits and vegetables, which I think generally I'm not a guy that says vegetables are trying to kill you and, and nobody. Should. I know there's other people. It's kind of funny. The car you talk about cults and carbs right. kind of become a cult, right? And it's not because of me. I'm like I tell people, hey, we're omnivores. This is a therapeutic protocol. Use it for as long as you like. if you want to do it for a lifestyle. Have at it. It's fine. I'm not gonna. But I'm but but. What I think was happening with fiber in a lot of ways, and because this fiber goes back to uh, oh, what's the researcher's name? I'm blanking on his name. He had a cancer named after him. But anyway, from 1920s, 1930s, goes to Uganda in Africa and, and notices like, oh, these people aren't fat and sick like they are in England. And uh, Burkett, Dennis Burkett's the guy's name. And he says, well, oh, they're eating a lot of fiber. But they weren't also, they weren't eating a lot of sugar and they weren't eating a lot of garbage like they were in the UK because sugar's been around since about the 1600s and, and, and progressively has increased. I mean, the US right now, it's kind of interesting, like compared to like the 18, early 1800s, the average kid by the age of something like eight has eaten more sugar than they would have in a lifetime back, you know, 150 years ago. So it's kind of crazy. But by the time they're eight? By the time they're eight years old, the average eight year old has eaten more sugar than somebody would have eaten in their entire life. You know, and, and that's just the normal kids. You know, you see some of these kids who are just like, I mean, I got, Jamie, I got a picture. I got to show you. This is so incredible. Jamie, there's a, there's a gal before and after picture. We got this food addiction stuff. So I interviewed a gal 
she was 800 pounds, right? It's like, how do, how do you get to 800 pounds? It's like impossible. Like I could, I, I don't think I could do it if I tried, right? I mean, I don't, you know, food, food addict, couldn't stop eating chocolate and ice cream and all that stuff. And this is her, Whoa. Uh, she's eight, almost 800 pounds, 350 kilos, which is the most I've ever deadlifted. So that's, that's kind of an interesting weight, but <laughs> 22 months she goes on carnivore, right? I interviewed her a while back and she's now lost almost 500 pounds on carnivore when nothing else would work for her. I mean, she literally, I mean, she told me, it was like, I finally found the off switch. She tried weight watcher. She tried like gastric bipe, you know, band surgery. She tried vegan diet. She tried juicing. She tried weight watch. She tried every single thing you could think of, but could never stop, stop. And finally, for the first time in her life, she's like, I finally found freedom from this food addiction. And, wow. you know, recent studies show that uh, that other guy in the hat, this is a funny guy, this guy in the hat right there, his name is, uh, oh, what's his name? I'm like, I'm Todd. He's a dude out in Montana, right? He was 770 pounds, right? Same sort of situation. Started drinking Cokes when he was, he, when he was 14 years old. I'm doing an interview and he, he goes, yeah, so, I'm, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know who he was. And he starts telling me, he goes, yeah, when I was 14, I was 600 pounds. I'm like, what? 600 pounds at 14? It's like, how the hell can you get to 400 pounds? You know, their they're poor family and his mom and sister and everybody in the family is, you know, very obese. And they had tried gastric bypass and it didn't work for them. But same thing with this kid. I mean, he's just like, I call him a kid, he's 40. He went carnivore and for the first time in his life, he's like, I don't need the sugar and I don't need the Coke. He was drinking like 20 Cokes a day or some ridiculous stuff. And he just blew up and blew up and he could not stop until, and this is why one of the reasons I think, I think they know this. I mean, the food industry knows they're making addictive food. They clearly know that. In fact, I had a gal who worked for one of the major food manufacturing companies, and her job, she was a, she was a chemist, uh, and her job was to design food to be as addictive as possible. And she literally told me that. She goes, I can no longer get live with the guilt, and I want to come work for you guys. And, you know, she was just so, like, just beside herself. She says she realizes what she's created with this epidemic of disease and suffering. I mean, because these people are suffering. Did you see that movie, The Whale? Did you ever see that movie? I did not. It's good. It's an interesting movie. So it's, it's you know, Brandon Fraser, and he's, it's, he's like seven hundred pound dude. And mm-hmm. It shows he lives in his cow. He lives in his recliner. He can't barely get up. He can barely go to the bathroom. Refrigerator next to him, and his whole life is. In, and this guy did the same thing. He said he spent like, he said he went. He fasted one time for forty days trying to lose weight. Just and he never left his chair. He lay, he just sat there for forty days and didn't eat. Wow. Can you imagine? That's like hell. That's like hell on earth. You know, but now he's like now he's going back to work. He's getting out in the field and he's working doing like electrical work or something like that. But I mean, it's just the sugar in one way, you know, I know there's people out there saying, listen, not sugar's fine, it's all seed oils and stuff like that. But I think clearly there are people that are addicted to either sugar or sugary foods. You know, it's like, you know, cause you like, would you eat chocolate if there's no sugar in it? I mean, it's like, eh, you know, that, that 100% dark is kind of like, you know, have you tried that? Have you kind of gross? It is. It's like the only reason you eat that stuff because the sugar's in there. So people say, well, no one's no one's mainlining bags of sugar. But I mean, I actually I know people that have actually done that. I mean, it's kind of crazy. You figure you see these people that are so addicted to this stuff. But they mainline. The well, sugar? I mean, well, I mean, they just eat it out of the bag. You know? oh, okay. So I don't, it's kind of like they're not, not shooting like it the up. IV. They're, not, they're not like heroin addicts. <laughs> but I mean, they're they're like you know, because there are there are people that say they'll do that if they can't get anything else, and you they just know, eat a bag of sugar. They'll eat. They'll sit down. Well, there's. The lethal dose for sugar is about like five pounds. If you like sat down and ate a five pound bag of sugar, it would kill you. It would literally cause you going to liver failure. So there is like an LD50 on sugar. So it is- Over what time period? Just like whatever, maybe a day or something like that. You know, if you just sat down and ate, you know, and some of these people, you see some of these, 
Have you seen like, uh, they call them fat fluencers, like these body positive, <laughs> I mean, it's you know, like influencers, but they're fat, right? And, they're, yeah. and they're, they're literally out there and the processed food companies actually pay these guys, right? They do? Oh yeah, it's the same thing. They, they, they're getting kickbacks to promote all this unhealthy behavior and unhealthy food and they're going through what I eat in a day and it's like, you know, you know, everything, you know, it's like Doritos and cookies and Cokes and all the garbage that they're, they're, they're chowing down on. And, you know, we've got this whole, the body positivity movement is being funded by the processed food industry. I mean, if you didn't know that, I mean, it's like they're, they've clearly shown directly, directly. They're paying these people to do this. The other thing, processed food come, they're paying dietitians on, on social media also to recommend processed foods. So it's, it's just like, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's clearly corrupt. I mean, it's, it's so dirty. It's such a dirty, but it's a, like a war against your health. And they're the enemy. They're the propagandists. Well, and then they want to, I mean, you've seen this stuff. Like, like you know, they come off to you, they say, oh, he's a racist or he's a right-wing fascist or something like it. Because you're like, I don't want to be sick and fat. You know right. I mean? That's what they come out and say. It's, it's you know, it's like there was there's some article like, you know, working out is a right-wing conspiracy. Do you see that? Yes. It's, it's like it's crazy. Wild. It's yeah, cause wild. Because some people will read that and people that are like extremely averse as to being labeled right-wing yeah, yeah. or being labeled racist or xenophobic or whatever it is, they're, they're terrified of those labels. They don't, they don't want that smoke. And so they see these things and it does affect the way they view the world. Yeah. As ridiculous as it sounds. And maybe one article won't do it, but if you see enough of them over time, you will associate that activity with some sort of problematic label that could be put on you, which is incredible that we're so easily influenced. Yeah. Some of us. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I saw like, uh, I know you've had Elon on, on Elon Musk on several times. I know he said like, look, I was a middle of the road dude. And that's me too. I was like, I'm just kind of middle. Let people live. I'm not political one way yeah. or the other. And all of a sudden the whole spectrum just shifts yeah. way over. And it's like, if you're not promoting like craziness, you're all of a sudden this you're homophobic, a far right ra yeah. racist, crazy person. I've always kinda... been left wing, which yeah, is yeah. really crazy. But the left moved so far away from what the left used to be. Yeah, now you're now you're a fascist. Now I'm an <laughs> alt right, -right, -right influencer. <laughs> yeah, I've I've seen people label me as an alt right person. I'm like that is so wild that they can do that with a straight face. Because I've always I've I've said, hey, maybe we should look into universal basic income. Maybe we should use look into universal health care. I think education should be free. You know, I think we should subsidize the schools and we should fix the roads and we should fucking fix inner cities. And we should, if you're going to use tax dollars, that's that. And if I thought my tax dollars were being used very appropriately in that way, I'd be 100% in favor of all that stuff. If I thought it really was an overall benefit to society. The problem is bureaucracy and big government is insanely inefficient. Like if you were talking about, if there was some sort of uh, private industry and the private industry only profited if something was successful and they got involved in these particular activities. If they got involved in education, if they got involved in dietary health, and the only way they were profitable is if their methods were effective because there's a free market. That would probably work. But when you get the government involved, all it does is make the government employees more wealthy, it makes the government larger, and it makes them protect that industry. We covered that with the homeless thing in, in California. If you're not aware, there's people that are working on the homeless. There's like a shitload of them. And some of them are making a quarter million dollars a year. And they are not putting a fucking dent in it. They're not effective at all. In well, fact, the only thing that I saw that was effective at all 
in stopping the tents and the homeless situation was when Xi Jinping yeah, yeah, visited Francisco. San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. They fucking cleaned it up like that. Like you could have done this the whole time. What do they do to those people? Where do they put those people? You think? I don't know. But what are they going to do now? Now that Xi Jinping is gone, are they going to like take down the fences and let people camp again? Like you showed that the overall quality of life of the people that live in that city is not important to you. What's important is the view, the optics. When a fucking dictator comes and visits. Which is so wild. Yeah, I saw you know the governor Gavin Newsom. I guess, do you think he's? I think he's going to run. For, I think he, I, I'm just one. You know, I try not to get political, but I'm just like, what's going to happen in the next election? I mean, are, is Biden even going to be able to run? I, mean, I I'm think just like, at this point they kind of have to run him, unless he dies. I don't. We don't have. We have one year now. We're mm -hmm. in November. We're in late November. We have less than a year. Like what? It, how? What are they going to do? I mean, you could look if Biden died tomorrow, and then what do they do with Kamala Harris? They're going to put her on the moon. Like, what are they going to do? <laughs> She's the vice president. So yeah. if he dies, she becomes the president, which is fucking wild when you hear that lady talk. Well, what if? What if? What if? Like Biden says, like in I don't know May, he says, you know, I'm I'm just not feeling up to it. And then and then they say Kamala is now the president. She's the first female president. And then she steps down at the convention, and they said. Let's give it to, to Newsom. I mean, do you that think that's a plausible scenario? Is possible, but it would be a real problem for people that are Kamala Harris supporters, and believe it or not, they exist. Yeah, but I mean, how? I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure the Democratic Party is just like calculating how they big, have to. Be. How big is this, and what's what's the thing? Like I that? think they have fucking no cards, and they're looking at this this game, and I don't know. I think they're depending upon party loyalty. And they're depending upon Trump getting convicted yeah. and arrested. I mean, and, and um, uh, imprisoned rather. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't think it is. It doesn't seem. To, it just seems like it's a bunch of trumped up charges. No pun intended. Yeah, I mean, I just I, again, I, I, I'm not a political commentator. I'm not an expert. It does seem like really like why are they going after him so hard right now when they could have done it? You know, like the, the the whatever the hotel thing or the valuation of the property from. 20 years ago. It's bananas. Right. The valuation yeah. of the property is so obvious, so off what it should be. $18 million for Mar-a-Lago? I'd fucking buy it. <laughs> I'd fucking buy it immediately. If that shit was $18 million and that. you were the only one that was able to buy it, you'd be a fool not to scoop it up because you could sell it right away. You could get a loan and you could sell that bitch right away for who knows how much. I mean, I think Forbes valued it. I think it was like well over 700 million wow. and Trump thinks it's worth over a billion and he might be right That's what's crazy. It's a giant piece of property in one of the most valuable pieces of land in all of America I mean a house next to him down the street a much smaller place sold for 50. Yeah, so it doesn't make sense It doesn't make it's it's yeah. it does make sense if you if you want to look at banana public republic banana tactics. Republic, yeah. Yeah, I mean funny. when you're imprisoning and, and trying to convict your political opponents which is, I, the problem with that is, even if you think Donald Trump is a crook, even if you think that he should be arrested, this sets a precedent for future presidents. If we get someone who is not just Donald Trump, who has a lot of people in the center that say, hey, his economic policies were effective, his foreign policies were effective, even if I think he's a jerk, maybe that would be better to have a jerk run the country in a way that's better overall than what's being done right now. Even if you looked at that. What if someone further right than him steps in? What if a war breaks out? What if things get even crazier? What if nationalism really upticks? Then you have someone who is now in power that is far right, like has happened all over the world. 
If that happens and that person, if that precedent has been set for prosecuting your political opponents and yeah. going after them with trumped up charges, we have a horrible situation. And that's one of the reasons why we have to stick with the rule of law. We have to stick with the, the, the way this country was founded on. These principles were set up because they wanted to mitigate corruption at its base level at every step of the way. They wanted to stretch it out so no one could be an authoritarian dictator and run America. Yeah, because you talk about the backlash because you saw like right, recently in Argentina, you know, yes. a guy who's a libertarian one and then and just in the Netherlands, which is kind of interesting because they were like, in the Netherlands, they're trying to get rid of cows. They're like, oh, these cows are farting. They're killing the atmosphere. And the farmers were like, we don't like this. And so they had this, I guess, this P PVV or PPP party, Freedom Party. And they, they won that by a landslide. And so and you saw in Italy, Maloney takes over. So you've got this, I think, backlash coming back. Right. And it's, it depends how, how far does the pendulum swing back the other way. And you kind of like... I don't know. I mean, day to day to me, it doesn't really affect me that much because I'm, I'm not like a political crazy person. But I'm just like, how does it affect my day to day stuff? I mean, a little bit of the COVID stuff. I was a little annoyed by that. I don't know. I know. I, know. I was very I, annoyed. I, by I don't know. You know, I was I just spoke in a conference in Florida and I had I had Robert Malone sitting next to me in the, in the car when he was going out there. And I just kind of saw some of the craziness there. And I know that's a that's a really sensitive issue. But um, it's, know, it's sensitive, kind of, but it shouldn't be. Yeah. It, it should be sensitive the other way. You should. Everyone at this point in time should realize that we got hoodwinked. Yeah. Everyone should realize that it was an overall net negative for children that got kept out of schools, masks, all, all the shit that we saw that went on. Forget about just the vaccines, the lockdowns, just what they did, the closing of businesses, the essential businesses, that they had big chains labeled as essential, but these small mom and pop stores were forced to go under. People had worked their whole lives to develop these businesses, and they took them away from them. And it's fucked up. And the fact that no one is outraged still, and that this narrative has been allowed to be portrayed through the, the mass media, that this isn't a major problem, and that this cannot happen again. Like, this is fucking madness, man. Yeah, it's like you like, so shirt I'm wearing here. This is from my jujitsu coach. This guy's named Greg Anderson. He was a he was a. I know that dude. Oh, you know I Greg follow Anderson. him he's on a, Instagram. He's a good guy. So he uh, special forces or special operations rather, Army Ranger, 15, 14, 15 tours overseas. Comes back as a Seattle cop, and during the pandemic, and he, they were like, "Hey, you need to go arrest this lady for doing people's nails at her home." And he's like, "I'm not doing that. This is total bullshit, right?" And he and he, and he made a video, and it went viral. Yeah, and. The cops, the Seattle Police you know, Commissioner said, hey, Greg, we agree in principle what you're saying, but you got to take down that video. Like we, we, And he just said, no, fuck you, I'm not going to do it. So they fired him. And so he got like like a GoFundMe page and he raised a bunch of money and he opened a jiu-jitsu studio in a CrossFit gym. And he's like, I make more money now as a jiu-jitsu guy than I ever did as a, as a cop. So he's, he's great he's, online, too. He's very he's, wise. He's, he's, a, he's a good guy. And he, he always beats my ass whenever I roll against him. He always arm bars <laughs> me, that motherfucker, man. It's of just course. Like, it's just like I try. I, one time, one round, I got to like within two seconds of the round, and he hit and got me, and he got me in the last second. So it's kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, that's the process. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. one day you'll be doing that to people. Uh, yeah, you can stay healthy. Hopefully, if I stay And that's healthy. what the stem cells are for today. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. And appreciate it. that. Was I guess we may chat about that. So you've been doing stem cells for, for a while, right, Joe? Oh, right? I've cured some really serious injuries with stem cells. Yeah. yeah, that that I was told needed surgery. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's the interesting thing because I'm an orthopedic surgeon, right? I operate on, I replace knees and hips and shoulders and all that stuff over the years. And the orthopedic surgery, orthopedic you know, academy uh, says stem cells don't really work. And so, but the question is, is it because, again, there's a conflict of interest there? Because if you're not getting surgery because you're getting stem cells, 
I'm losing out on, you know, shoulder arthroscopy money, right? So, I mean, there's a little bit of a conflict of interest there. So I go in it with a little bit of skepticism, but I'm open-minded, and we'll see. Like I said, if I, you know, if I notice, because I want to get back to rolling. I mean, the key I, is you have to not roll for quite a while. Yeah, well, I'm, You have to really well, let that thing heal. Well, what I'm planning on, you know, like I said, I like I got one of those iron neck deals. Mm-hmm. I, you're a fan of that, and I talked to the guy, uh, Robert, I think, is uh, the, the, you know, the head of that company. And it's pretty cool. I was doing it in the hotel room this morning, but, I mean, it was just like... I want to, because I got a long neck. I don't know if you can tell I got a pretty long neck. I'm a pretty big, strong guy, but like my neck is an area where I didn't really like spend a lot of time developing. Because I, I mean, when I played rugby, I did. I'd do some neck bridges and wrestlers bridges and like you neck bridge and start bench pressing with the mm-hmm. weight on there. But I hadn't done that in years, you know, because I just like, eh. So then, you know, when I got into jiu-jitsu and I've been doing, you know, two, two years into it basically, and then I just got dumped, man. I was just like, you know, we we're talking about that. I just got Landed dropped on my on head, dropped head, on yeah. my head, and flexed under me on my way because I'm about 250, 260, and the other guy was like I don't know 220, and it's just like that combined weight. It was just like it's ah. a lot of weight. Yeah, so it's one thing. So I necks wanna... are a real problem. John yeah, Jock yeah. Machado always said, "Never trust your neck." Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, that's I, his... so my goal is to make it as strong and as flexible and mm-hmm. as bulletproof as possible before I go back. You know, because I I may go back to just doing some like drilling and stuff like that, but not the actual live rounds for a while. But um, you yeah, know, you so. just have to avoid aggravating it while it happens. My yeah. buddy Shane Dorian, who's a big wave surfer, he just went down to uh, the CPI in uh, Tijuana, and they could do some wild shit down there. And they in- they inject because that's part of the problem with it not being co- completely approved by the FDA is they're limited in their applications. Mm-hmm. So, but in Mexico they're not, and so they've had tremendous results. And they inject directly into the discs. Yeah. They put you under under anesthesia. They inject you directly into the, the discs, and they told them, "Don't. I want you doing anything for eight weeks. Nothing. Yeah. You're walking. That's it. No. No. Nothing straining. That's hard to do. Man. It's hard to do, That's but it's hard. it's important. Yeah. It's so hard for guys like you and I that work out all the time. But it's so important. And one of the things that I realized. I was getting uh, a lot of stem cells in my left knee in particular. I had a torn uh, MCL, mm-hmm. and I just wasn't letting it heal properly. I would I would get the stem cells, and then four weeks later, I'd go back to Muay Thai, and I'd be smashing the bag and kicking the pads. Then my knee would swell up again, and I was like, fuck. And I was thinking, God damn it, I don't want to get surgery. And then I would go back again, get more stem cells, do it again. And then I finally got the stem cells, and I said, okay, I am going to take a year off of kicking. And I didn't do any kicking at all for a year. Now it's back to full strength. I have no problems with it. I'm slamming the bag, no problems, it doesn't hurt. It's still, I'm missing meniscus in there because I had it scoped in 2003, I believe it was. And so there's a chunk of, I had a bucket handle tear. It was a real problem. It It was a nasty meniscus tear that I had. So they removed some meniscus, which can contribute to arthritis if you're not careful. But, um, it just gets a little sore sometimes, but the structure is not, it's not a problem at all anymore. And I did a lot of that knees over toes stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that guy, yeah, that yeah, guy's yeah, amazing. Yeah, ben Patrick, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. amazing. Yeah. He, and I love that he puts all that information out there for everybody. He just lets you know for free. He shows his mom doing it. He shows how he had all these knee surgeries and all these problems. And now he can dunk, he can run, he can sprint, do all these different things. So. I started incorporating all those knees over toes things, the Nordic curls, the tib bar raises. My knees are significantly stronger than they've been in years. Yeah, I do some of the backward stuff that he does. I've got mm-hmm. a hill. I've got a hill at my house. It's about eighty meters. Do you still do hill sprints, Joe? Do you still do that? Stuff? No, I haven't done those. But I do a lot of sled work. Yeah, yeah, I do a lot of pushing the sled, and I still run a little bit. 
Um, I do. Uh, I, I have one of those um, uh, treadmills that yeah, is self propelled. Yeah, like an arc one. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. those are great. Those yeah, are great. Yeah, I've got one. I've got one in the garage. Because you're on the ball of your foot. It's you know it's fairly cushioned and it d- that doesn't irritate me at all. Yeah, it's supposed to start sort of. I guess provide better feedback for better correct running technique. Yeah, it's like the assault air runner is one I've got at home. And it's but, yeah, I think that's what I have too. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, supposedly like I think it's thirteen percent more difficult than running regularly. Yeah, I've heard it's a little harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's nice. So it gives you real good cardiovascular benefits and doesn't hurt my knees and it doesn't fuck with. Do you me. run? Do you run sprints or do you? What do you do kind of run? I mostly just do distance. Yeah, okay. You know, I'll do like you know time and keep my my heart rate at you know in the high one forties something like that. What percentage of, like, when you say, because you're doing, what percentage of your training is jujitsu versus striking or grappling versus striking? Do you do I that? haven't been doing much grappling lately. So I've been doing more striking than that. But it was mostly because of my knee, because I just wanted to give it time off. And now that it's better, and then I was going through elk hunting season. Mm-hmm. And elk hunting season, I didn't want to fuck anything up because. You know, when you elk hunt, you have to, you know, you're doing 10, 12 miles a day and you're doing it in the mountains. So most of my work was I was doing rucking. I was doing a lot of farmer's carries. I was doing elevated treadmill with weight on my back. I was doing a lot of things like that that is just designed. Stairmaster. I was doing all the different knees over toes stuff, box steps, all these different things just specifically to condition my legs for the mountains. And I didn't want to fuck my knees up, but that's over. So now I can go back to jujitsu. Got, got it. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, you know, because you because you got a black belt, and you've been doing it for what thirty years or something. Forever, forever. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of like you figure out, like, I'm still in the learning phase. So I'm like, the biggest problem for me is like, I can't get in as enough as I want to 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 hit that learning curve. And so I'm just the like, big thing is drilling. Yeah, drilling is everything, and everybody loves to roll because it's so yeah, fun. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. so fun. <laughs> But really drilling and live drills, you know, like, you know, you, and especially if you get good training partners, good training partners are everything. Someone who gives you like 50%, 60% resistance. And then you go through a pass phase, you know, you go through a guard pass phase or you go through a back mount phase, you know, whatever your routine is that you do, just fucking do that over and over and over and over again. I made my biggest leaps when I was a blue belt because uh, I'm good friends with Eddie Bravo and he and I would drill twice a week. We would just get together and nothing but drill, mm-hmm. nothing but drill. And it made massive leaps in my improvement because I was conditioned to hit those. My 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 body knew what just like tying. He he would describe it like tying your shoelace. You don't even think about tying your shoelace, right? You get it once you know how to do it, and right, you're, yeah. you just whoosh, ping, it just does that. You want that with your jujitsu techniques, and the way to get that with your jujitsu techniques is to drill. Just drill over and over and over again. And yeah, that's practice what, on white belts. Yeah, that's what I like so much. Because <laughs> I, I find like, like you know, because I'm still a white belt. I mean, because I just I didn't I don't go as much. But I mean, it's just like when I go another white belt, it's like it's like war, man. It's just like you want to kill yeah. each other. You know, right, right, like, right. So you got to learn how to be playful. That's yeah, the, the yeah. Gracies always say. Yeah. Keep it playful. I I try to play like I have my better roles with the with the higher belts, like the black belts. Cause right. They, I mean, because they know like they can dial it back in there. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of like they they kind of let you work a little bit. So that's. Really, and I always, but I always try to get the harder ones because I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm big guy, and I like, you know, that's like, a problem too. Is that you're yeah. so big, yeah, yeah. You know, when big guys, it's hard for them to learn. Uh, that's like a big guy that has a guard is so fucking dangerous. Yeah, that's why Fabrizio Verdum was so dangerous because he was a heavyweight, a giant guy who had a lethal guard. Because it's so rare. Because big guys can just get on top. They get on top and smash the smaller people, and that's fun. Yeah, and so they do that more often than not. 
And it's very rare that you get a big guy that has really sharp, sharp technique. Most people say the best jujitsu to learn is learn jujitsu from a smaller person. Mm-hmm. You learn jujitsu from, you know, like one of the Mendez brothers or Hoyler Gracie or someone who's a smaller person physically, Marcelo Garcia. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. their technique is just sharp. Has to be. Yeah. Has to be. You, you, there's no options. You can't muscle your way around things. How many times have you been caught in an arm bar? You can just fucking yank your arm out. Yeah, it's better, if, it's, if, it's, yeah. if it's a white belt putting on, yeah. I can usually get out. And usually, usually I like it because then I'm like, I'm going to get out and land on you. you exactly. Know, it's like, you know, it's like, but if it's somebody good like Greg, I'm you know, I, yeah. There was a period where I was kind of figuring out, I was like pushing his lower leg down and catching it between my legs. And I, and I was doing that for a while and I was kind of defeating him a little bit. Then he, then he, of course, figured that out and yeah. still arm barred me anyway. But That's what but, being yeah. a black belt's all about. How but, much does he weigh? He Greg's he's two hundred ish something yeah. like that. So, so he's, that's, that's decent size, you know. It's decent size, but you have a significant yeah, advantage. I'm, like, over I'm usually like I'm, I'm like two sixtieish right now. Usually I'm about two fifty. I'm a little yeah. fat right now, but I mean, you gotta <laughs> learn how to not use that. And yeah, it's yeah. so counterintuitive. Well, what he, he says is use it when you need it. I mean, there's times when strength is important, sure. and you don't want to. It's like it's just like telling a fast guy, "Don't be fast." I mean, right. it's like you want to use what you have to some degree. But that's like, in competition. Right, what yeah. you're with what. what learning and training is supposed to be about is drilling those techniques into your central nervous system, drilling those techniques into your mind and your body so that when the opportunity arises, like when you hit an arm drag, your body immediately knows what to do. It's just instantaneous. It's not like, oh, okay, I got the elbow and I pull. Now what? It's just... Yeah, I mean, it it makes total sense because it's like, you know, like... Like, it's kind of funny. Before I hurt my neck, I got all these Danaher videos. I'm like watching. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, because yeah. John, John is like, he's funny. I mean, it's just like you listen to talking on his videos, and he'll just say something off the wall. It's like, oh yeah, it's like when you're at the if you're hanging out at the strip joint last night. I'm like, what? You know, it's like, <laughs> he throws these funny things in there, and he's such a good explain. You know, he's such a good just you know, guy describing what you're supposed to be doing, yeah, what you're supposed to be thinking, why you're doing it. And I I enjoy that, but but again, then you go to a live role, and you're like, wait a minute. It's changing too fast for me to keep yes. up. And you can't yes. really pick, picture That's that why up. drilling is so important. Yeah, drilling yeah. is everything. When yeah. you fi- you meet guys that drill yeah. versus guys that don't drill, another it's a giant leap in their improvement, the guys who drill. Another thing that really helps is teaching. Um, when my friends who realized that they really loved jujitsu and they started teaching lower belts to make a living, they didn't want to do their job anymore, so they got a job teaching private lessons. Those guys got so much better. Yeah. It's really incredible. Yeah. It's extraordinary the leap that they make because they're concentrating on the basics and they're they're explaining it to me, to people. So when they're explaining these things to people, it's like cementing it in their mind, like really carving those grooves deeply in their mind and their body. So their body knows exactly what to do in those situations. Yeah, we used to have a saying in surgery, see one, do one, teach one. I mean, it, was, mm. you know, it wasn't exactly that, but I mean, if you could teach it, then you really had it down. A hundred percent. That's when I got really good at martial arts when I was teaching. When I was a kid, I started teaching very early on. My instructor realized that I had some potential. So he told me at like a very young age, I think I was like 16 when I started teaching. He said, look, we need someone to teach white belts. You're good and you're very dedicated. If you teach, you can train here for free. So I was great. I was like, this is awesome. Now I don't have to pay dues. All I have to do is show up and teach, which I love to do anyway. And it helped me. It made a big, I, I got big leaps in my improvement from teaching. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, you know, you know what really shocked me is because, you know, I, 
doing this carnivore stuff, a lot of people are reaching out to me. And I had, uh, the first time I met a, like a, a, a professional MMA guy, his name was George Carcani, and he fought in Bellator. And he yeah, goes, very good fighter. And he goes, hey, would you mind if I came to your house and trained? I said, yeah, sure, come on over. And he's such an, I, I was like, this is a killer. These guys are assassins. I mean, their job is literally to beat people up, right? The nicest people I've ever met. I've been, yep. I've been amazed at how just super nice all these guys. Mm -hmm. I've met a lot of them now, and it's just they like, have nothing wow. to prove. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, that's that's the one thing, one of the reasons I like about jujitsu is like, it puts the rest of your life in perspective. You know, you go there, and literally like someone's literally like trying to kill you. Trying to, yes. If they choke you to death, you'd be dead. If they like continue, you'd literally die. And so you're like, you're fighting for your life, and then the rest of life is like, well, at least I'm not getting fighting for my so life. So much right now. easier. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's, it, the hardest thing you do is always the hardest thing you do. Yeah. If the hardest thing you do is parallel parking, like I can't <laughs> do it. You know, it's like it becomes a fucking a real issue. But if you're used to jujitsu, the rest of the life is easy. Right. Yeah. yeah you know, you yeah. just try not to get your arm broken. You try yeah, yeah. not. You know, <laughs> like literally. I mean, how many people are running around all day where multiple times a day you're trying not to get your arm broken? Right, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty rare. But in jiu-jitsu, it's insanely common. Yeah, it's like, like 10 times in half an hour. Somebody's it's trying to break also, my arm. it's yeah. such an insane stress reliever. Mm -hmm. And it's a moving form of meditation because it's so engrossing and it's so all-encompassing. You, you're All your thoughts are on that movement at that time. If you're training, you're rolling... All your thoughts are completely locked in. You're not thinking, fuck my electric bill, I forgot mm -hmm. to pay it. Yeah. Oh my God, I gotta do this, and what about the end of the month, I owe taxes. You're not thinking of any of that shit. Yeah, if you're thinking of any of that stuff, you're quickly yeah. gonna be choked. Yes. Right? It's just like, you know, it's kind of funny, because, and, and this is trying to explain that, to like, my, you know, my, my spouse is like, she sees me coming in, my face is all scratched up, I got black eyes, she's like, why the fuck are you doing this <laughs> stuff? Doesn't, she, she doesn't compute to her, but I'm like, it's so fun. It's just yes. like, it's so, there's such a positive trade-off for that. And the only, like, the, like I said, I'm just thinking about for like, you know, think about longevity and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, if I get hurt, then I can't train and then that's going to have a negative impact on me. So it's kind of balancing that out so that you can still continue to do the things that keep you healthy and still enjoy this. The thing activity. is training smart, yeah. finding good training partners. Like if you train with Greg, I guarantee you it's safer yeah, than yeah. training with someone who's like a, a brute of a blue Yeah, belt. he's never hurt me. You know, yeah, he's yeah. never hurt me, exactly. but he's, he's, Submitted me like a yeah. gazillion times. And it's like, again, yeah. that's what being a black yeah. belt's all about. Yeah. yeah. But if you can just find training partners like that and then also drill, you'll be able to train well. I mean, Elio Gracie was training well into his 80s. Yeah. That's you know, amazing. but yeah. but if you watched him train, he was training with his sons and they were just, they were flow rolling, you know? So he's always going over the techniques, but there's no spiking them on his head. No, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like that, that the problem is the actual chaos of rolling where knees get yanked and, you know, fucking backs get fucked up. That's where the problem lies. But if you can train smart and train with other people that are also dedicated to training smart, you can continue your improvement. Yeah, that's what I, I look forward to getting back. I, I'm thinking probably with this neck thing, probably, you know, you know, three, four months down the road. I'll it's be back so addictive. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was like... I guess I was probably like 27 or 28 the first time I got hurt, and uh, I went to a doctor, and the doctor was like, well, you gotta stop doing jujitsu. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, <laughs> fix this, and I'm right, getting right, right back in there. I don't know what the yeah. fuck you're talking yeah. about. Like, all I was thinking is like, how long do I have to recover from surgery before I can get back to rolling again? That's all I was thinking. I was not thinking like, oh, I have to stop now. I was like, what? He was saying stop. I was like, stop what? Stop the one thing that keeps me sane? Like, cause, you know, 
especially if you're a person that deals with other high pressure things, it makes those other high pressure things so much easier. Yeah. It really does. And it elevates your human potential. Like whatever you do in life will be easier to do because you do something that's so much more difficult than anything else. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, like taking the cold, the cold plunge, mm-hmm. or the cold shower. It's like, if I get up and do that, the rest yes. of the, like you, you said you do that first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning. So the rest of the day is downhill from there, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> I get up and the first thing in the morning, I'm fucking cold. I go out there, I'm in a bathroom, I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. I don't, it never feels good. I never mm-hmm. want to do it. Every single time my, my bitch ass brain tries to find some way to override my discipline and tell me, you don't have to do it today. You, you've done it three days this week. How about take a day off? Let's go inside and get a cup of coffee and watch TV. <laughs> I'm like, shut up, pussy. Let's go. And then you get in there, and I just stare at my stopwatch. I stare at the watch, and I go, when three minutes is over, I'm going to be so happy I did this. And every time three minutes is over, I get out, I feel amazing. Yeah, because you've got, so I, I think good. you've got this crazy, like you said, rapid river. Like, it, it keeps circulating water. So you it's can't... called a blue cube. We yeah. have it in here. Yeah, yeah it, that thing sucks, but it's awesome. But you don't have to have it on. You can turn it off. It's still cold. It's still cold as fuck. But if you really want to experience the suff, the real <laughs> suffer, crank that bitch up and it's a raging river. Yeah, just yeah. Pu- it pushes the thermal layer away from you. Yeah, so you and it's also like warm. really well built. It's an awesome machine. I can't recommend it enough. Blue cubes are the shit. Blue I also, cube, okay. at my home, I have a Morosco Forge, which is amazing, oh, too. Oh, I've been in one of those, yeah. It's yeah. great. It's cold as shit. The whole thing is just suffering. Yeah. The whole thing is getting your body to adapt to this insane environment, making more brown fat, elevating your cold shock proteins, and also ramping up your dopamine in a significant manner. When you get out of there, your dopamine ramps up for 200%, and it's like that for hours. Yeah, I remember, I, I can't remember, like, when I used to do ice baths, you know, back way in the day, mm-hmm. and, and I would sit in there for like 30 minutes. I mean, it wasn't as cold as it was, but I'd right. get out and I'd be euphoric. I yes. mean, I would literally be like euphoric. It was like, I'd shiver, but I'd be like, it was like I was happy for like yes. hours after. It was That's weird. what it is. Yeah. I have a, a group of comedians that I'm running on like a little comedy, <laughs> em, uh, like a comedy training boot camp. A bunch get them, of these get guys, Carnivore too, right? I am trying. Yes, <clears throat> they're all. They're going to do it in January. Okay, cool. I'm working yeah, them up Carnivore to it month. now. Yeah, World yeah. Carnivore Month, which is yeah. when I first did it. Yep. So I've got them now where they're cold plunging uh, after workouts, and eventually, like within the next couple of weeks, we're going to start with the cold plunge, which is that's next level. Yeah. That's that's when it gets hard. Then I'm saying, look, we go through. The, I start them off. Every workout starts out with 100 body weight squats, 100 push-ups. We do, uh, and I tell them, if you can only do five, do five. You don't have to do 100. You know, like I'm doing sets of 20. If you want to do sets of five, do five. The most important thing is we want to build a base. So if you get to like five and you're struggling, stop right there. I'm not trying to kill anybody. I'm just trying to give you guys a base so you have a good time. So we're all laughing. We're having a lot of fun. I'm running them through these workouts. We're doing it three, four days a week. And then we get in the cold plunge. We get in the sauna first, which is the way I've been doing it with them. So they get to the point where they're actually kind of looking. Looking forward yeah, to the cold because yeah. I don't fuck around with the sauna. I get that bitch up to 185 <laughs> degrees. We sit in there for 20 minutes. If anybody complains, I throw water <laughs> on the rocks. I'm like, come on, man. This is this is the whole. I know you can do this. I know you don't want to do this, but the whole idea is, when it's done, you're gonna feel better because you did a thing that you didn't think you could do, or you think you had to quit, and you don't have to quit because sometimes they'll be in there like, I gotta get out. Like, no, you don't. You have four more minutes. You can do anything for four minutes, almost. But just fucking concentrate. 
concentrate and relax and just deal with it. Count to 10 and then count to 10 again and then keep doing that. And eventually it'll be four minutes. Just do it. And then afterwards I get them in the cold. And when I get them in the cold, they get out. They're like, oh, my God, I feel amazing. I go, don't you feel great? So by doing it this way where I'm just introducing them first to body weight exercises, then to very light kettlebells, you know, like 12-pound swings, yeah, yeah. cleans presses, some windmills. Uh, and then I've, now I've got them doing renegade rows, a little bit more difficult. You know, and then now I've got them doing, you know, like um, the rogue uh, glute ham machine. So I've got them doing like those sit-ups where you hang low and come all the way up. I'm like, if you only do three, do three. I'm doing sets of 15. You don't have to do what I'm doing. Just do, because I've built up to this. We're going to do those. Then we're going to do some back extensions. I'm going to strengthen your core. We're going to do some reverse squats with the, the pulley machine. So we're going to do those with 50% of your body weight. If you can only do two, do two. I want you to get up to 10. We're going to do sets of 10 eventually, but we're going to build a base. And so we build this base, and now these guys are fucking happy. They're confident. They're coming to the green room before the show's like, dude, I feel fucking great. I'm so, like, yes. Because, I mean, I imagine, like, I mean, you've been a comic for a long Forever. time, right? And, and that's got to be a love, tough lifestyle, though, in a way, because you're out late at night all the time. Yes. Drinking, smoking, mm -hmm. partying. I mean, are these guys, because, I mean, obviously the UFC fighters are a different breed than the yes. comics. And are you finding that, like, like in your own personal experience, that being in shape helps you with your 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 craft? I mean, I think it that... helps you with everything in life. Yeah, because it makes your mind function better. People want to think that the mind, the body, are two separate things. They're not. You're an entity. Your existence is all symbiotic. It's all working together. If you eat better, if you rest better. Look, if I'm tired, like if for some reason I, you know, I had to travel or this or that or something woke me up and I'm not getting any sleep and I have to do stand up and I have four hours sleep, I don't have as much juice. You know, I have to drink like a couple of espressos. I have to fucking do some jumping jacks, get my brain fired up. And then at night I'm significantly more tired that day. If I sleep eight hours and I eat really good food and I come in there, I have more energy. If you have more energy, you'll be better at everything you do. There's not a thing you can do other than sleep where when you have less energy, you do it better. Nothing else. So if you have more energy, you'll be better at comedy. You'll be better at talking to people. You'll be better at whatever the fuck it is you do. Whether you're an accountant or a fucking songwriter, you'll be better at it if you have more energy. It's not like mutually exclusive that you have to be a drunk fatso in order to be a funny comedian. It's just not true. A lot of drunk fatsos are funny yeah, comedians funny people, yeah. because they're wild, impulsive people and that's fun to watch. But they can still be all those things and be healthy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I'm not, not a comic. I do some stupid skips that were kind of funny, but it takes a lot of creativity and intelligence to be funny. I mean, I mean, you would know that. I mean, it's like it's something that a lot of comics are very, very intelligent people. I mean, I would, you know. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of my friends are surprisingly funny. A lot of them are uneducated, but they're also very smart. Yeah. They're very smart. They're very what you call it street smart or wise. They get things. They understand people. They're armchair psychologists. They understand what makes people think and behave. Like Patrice O'Neill is one of the greatest comics of all time. He was diabetic. And he was a, a, a big, overweight guy, but he was brilliant. And he had an understanding of human psychology that came from life experience and whatever shit he went through when he was younger that he brought to the stage. And he would have been better if he was healthy, which is crazy. 
because he was so good already. So, so these guys that are training with you, are they all? They all live in Austin or local yes. comics, and so yes. so they're they. I, I, you've got like a new like a club or something yes. like that, right? The comedy mothership. So yeah, that's in, that's so, downtown or something. Yeah, like that. so these guys are all guys that I work with all the time. So if I'm doing shows there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I'm doing shows with these guys. So there's like a really cool camaraderie and brotherhood with all these guys, and we all work out together, and. You know, it's like, I don't like that term team building because I don't think about it as like a corporate environment, but there's something to that. Like we're all brothers and we get together and we have fun together and they're learning. They're learning They're like, oh my God, this actually makes me feel better. And I was never, they were never involved in anything like this before. They never had like organized workouts on a regular basis. But the fact that they're all going through it together as beginners and that they're getting guided by someone like me who loves them mm -hmm. and who is already fit. And they could see the benefits. And I'm telling them, dude, keep going. You will have a fucking six pack before no, but before you know it. You will be better. You'll feel healthier. Change your diet. Change what you do. Change how you live your life. Make sure you get your sleep in. Start taking vitamins. You just start listen, athletic greens is the fucking easiest thing to take. Take a scoop, put it in water, spin it up. You got vitamins. Do give your fucking body the nutrients it deserves. Do these things and you will feel better. Yeah, I mean, is there ever, like, I mean, there's some, like, I can remember through the years, like John Belushi, John Candy, these giant, you know, they all died early, right? You know, yeah. From drugs or whatever, probably their BC didn't help them. But is there a danger of, like, once you become that role, like you're the big heavy guy, you got to stay that way to get the jobs? I mean, like, in, maybe in Hollywood and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, in Hollywood. If you want to be a big fat guy in movies, yeah. Uh, my advice sucks. Yeah. You're, you're, not, <laughs> you're gonna lose your job, but well, you, you don't have to be the big fat but isn't guy. Like, what's the guy that he's like? Uh, like a Seth or something like that. He's like a redheaded kid. He was uh, Seth Rogen. No, not Seth Rogen. Is another. No, I can't remember the guy's name. Anyway, he was a big chubby kid, and he lost a lot of weight. And I can't remember what his name was, but he was in like Super Bad or something. like oh, that. Oh yeah, um, Jonah Hill. Yeah, yeah, him. So he's yeah. like leaned out a lot. I mean, yeah. But he's some, he still has a career, I guess. Of course right? he does. He's yeah. talented. Yeah. But also those movies that he used to be in, they don't fucking make those anymore because the, the woke PC culture oh, just yeah. fucking <laughs> threw water on that fire. I mean, they used to make movies like Tropic Thunder. If you made a movie like Tropic Thunder today, everyone's going to jail. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's one of the greatest comedies of all time. Or Super Bad. You couldn't make Super Bad today. Jesus Christ, the backlash would be insane. Yeah, it's it's crazy how like I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess they like like Generation X is the toughest generation. You know, it's kind of like you know. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of like really funny guys. Like Andrew Schultz is a perfect example. One of the best comics alive. He's fit. He's thin. He's smart. He doesn't party. And he's, you know, he's still hilarious. You don't have to be dying to be a good comic. It's not necessary. Yeah, there's a, I saw, there's a, there's a comedian, his name's Brent Pella. Do you know who he is? Have you ever seen him? He does like a lot, a lot of like these carnivore diet things and stuff. They did a... Are you, do you know a place called Hop Dottie? Have you heard of that place? It's a burger It's a hamburger chain. place. Yeah. A hamburger place. So my friend is one of the executives over there. And they had, they had like Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat on their menu for a while. And he was like pissed off about it because he's kind of carnivore leaning, and they kept trying to get get rid of it, get rid of it. And I think one of them paid like a million dollars to keep it on the menu. It was like it was like ridiculous. They were just you know obviously forcing this on the population. And yeah. Beyond Meat is just like tank. Nobody wants that stuff. You Isn't know? it crazy? How the that stock happened? went from like two fifty like three years ago now it's like five bucks. It's like you know. Not only that, they're fucking getting sued. Like people that are that were shareholders are suing. Them. Oh, for for yeah, and and it's it's like so. 
the hop dot he made a video like we're getting rid of beyond meat and they threw it in the garbage and his comic print pal making this funny little it's like a three minute funny video and and beyond meat actually sent them a cease and desist stop making fun of us <laughs> which is how can you say that i don't know i guess they did i mean they said don't make fun of us anymore how can you send a cease and desist for making fun of something that's what they did it was just funny so yeah i don't think you have to obey that well, I don't know it's if it's part of culture. Kind of, kind of funny. You could yeah. obey. Yeah. You, you yeah. can make fun of anything in culture. It's uh, in America. You see what they're doing in, uh, in what is it? Ireland. Ireland is recent. They're trying to pass some law where if you have memes on your possession, <laughs> so if you have something in your possession that could be used to marginalize or incite violence, which is very open ended. Like something funny could be used to incite violence in their ridiculous ideology, that you could be arrested for that. Yeah, wasn't there a guy that was was sentenced to jail for having a meme about Hillary Clinton recently? Though? No, he created um, he created a parody meme uh-huh. about Hillary Clinton, and he went to jail for it though. Something happened. It's like it's like crazy. I don't know if he went to jail or if he was convicted of something. I don't know what the sentence was, but yeah, and this was because the. They were, what were they saying that was like, Jamie will find it, but it's something egregious because it was a very subtle parody where you could say that this was just not true. These are falsehoods. So here it is. Man who spread misinformation on Trump's behalf, sentenced to seven months. The man, Douglas Mackey, spread internet memes meant to fool people into not voting for Hillary Clinton in 2016. So what were the memes? Let's find out what the memes were. Okay, but let's, let's find out what the thing. Evidence, sh- hold on, scroll up a little bit. Evidence showed that the participants discuss generating interest in emails stolen from the Clinton campaign by Russia, portraying Miss Clinton as a warmonger and promoting the claim that she had cheated during the primaries to get supporters of Senator Bernie Sanders to hate not just Hillary, but the Democratic Party itself. Mr. Mackey published, uh, pushed the hashtag uh, right in Bernie, hashtag right in Bernie, evidence showed and stated that women and naturalized citizens should not be allowed to vote. He also wrote that black people were unintelligent and gullible and suggested spreading a hashtag, hashtag never vote in black social media spaces. Yeah, but here's the thing. Like, this was all parody. This, I'm 90% sure. Let's find out what he actually made. But it, I remember looking at the things that he made and going, well, that was, if you didn't know any better. Well, I mean, you, you think like today with the AI stuff. I mean, I, I know you've had like fake AI Joe Rogans, right? Oh, there's I a mean, shitload of them. There's going to be stuff that are just like, they're going to take something and make you say something that you never would have said. And you, They're you, already you, doing how, that. How they're do already defend, selling. Do you, I don't do, know what to do. I don't do know what it? I can yeah. do. They're, I'm uh, selling big dick pills and <laughs> I'm selling all kinds of stuff online. Rappers are using me to promote themselves. Like I'm talking about, this is the hottest rapper alive, and you know it's it's an AI yeah, I mean, generated. Yeah, if you can't voice. if you can't do anything against that, I don't I know mean, what you can I mean, do. What, could, what can anyone do? I mean, it's, it's well, I guess crazy. you could ask Instagram to take it down, but Instagram has some wild shit up in the algorithm now. I I see murders every day now. Every Tom Segura and I have this thing where every day we send each other the worst shit that we can find, and because of that, my algorithm is now conditioned to show me the <laughs> crazy worst stuff. things. Yeah. Oh my God! Like every day, it's people getting pulverized. Well, yeah, the... but they're banning. Like I saw Chad Mendez. You know Chad Mendez, the UFC guy. Yes. 
they took down his hunting photos. They're yes. saying you can't put up hunting photos. Yeah. You're, you're showing murders and all this other crap on there. It's crazy. Well, I think they're doing it from these like really sketchy accounts, and they just make thousands of the, these accounts. Put, put, put that up there. It says, Twitter user convicted for false voting information, not Hillary Clinton memes. Fact check. Okay, okay. but this is like USA Who are the, who are the fact checkers? Though? USA Today. It's just fucking mainstream. Go back to that, please. Oh, sorry. The pop-up ad popped up. Um, so scroll down, and what what is it saying? Uh, Instagram post directly. Scroll back up. Let's so I can read that. Um, includes a screenshot of post on X, formerly Twitter, that claims social media user is being imprisoned for political memes. Breaking Twitter user Douglas Mackey sentenced to seven months in prison for being found guilty of election interference for making memes disparaging Hillary Clinton. Reads the post which links to a post-millennial story making the same claim. It received more than 70,000 likes in two days. Another version of the post shared on X by right-wing commentator Dinesh D'Souza received nearly 1,300 shares. And scroll back down. Okay, our rating, false. Making memes disparaging political figures is not illegal. Mackey was sentenced for posting memes that encourage Clinton supporters to vote via text message, which is not a valid way to vote. Let's can we let's see if we can find the memes. Well, I mean, that's it has a link for it, but okay. But no, no, that's a direct link to something that said he was sentenced to prison for uh, political commentary. It generally, would have the meme in that these posts though, so that's why. Yeah, does it? I don't. I mean, we had to have to check. Let's see. You were going to Gulag? No, that's 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 them doing that. That's different. Let's see if we can find what his memes were that he made. Douglas Mackey memes. See, there, the there they go. Okay. I and mean, that's not really a meme, though, either. Kind of is. Save time, avoid the line, vote from home. Text Hillary to 59925, and we'll make history together this November 8th. Okay, that's borderline, right? Because that is kind of misinformation. I don't think the guy should go to jail for it. But, like, click on that one in the upper right-hand corner. Yeah, that one. It says, vote for her, vote from home, post Hillary using hashtag presidential election. Yeah. This is definitely not true. There's nothing funny about that. Right. <laughs> right. That is, yeah, that's different. This one. Avoid the line, vote from home, text Hillary. Yeah. Okay. So I wonder how many people got fooled by that. That's a lot. Yeah, like, it said over five, like somewhere in the range of 5,000 people texted one of those numbers or something like that. I'm sure. I'm sure they did. Because if you saw that and you go, oh, all I have to do is this and I don't have to vote in person. Yeah, if you're not aware, I could see how that could get you. So that's, that's, yeah, that's a little different than a meme. I mean, it's kind of a meme, but it really is, I mean, that kind of falls under misinformation. I don't think the guy should go to jail for it, but it pro you probably shouldn't be allowed to. Maybe lose your account or something like that. I mean, yeah. Because <clears throat> I've been, you know, I got banned, I remember, I got banned from Twitter for like a year, you know. Just and for what? I don't know. I mean, it was. They said they said there was like a, a copyrighted music, like music playing in the background on one of my videos, and they were right. gonna ban That's me for life. Was. And I was like, ban me for life? What did I? You know, it's like there's you people promoted. out here putting, you know, pr promoting murder and death, and they're on yeah. there. And I'm like, I the Taliban's music. on there, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of. It's crazy. not that. It was that you were promoting this alt right lifestyle of eating meat only. Well, and exercise and, and exercise. All that stuff. It's yeah, think, very yeah. problematic, Sean. It is. It is. We problematic. can't have people eating meat and being healthy and working <laughs> out. That's fucked up.
I don't know why you did it, and I hope you've changed your ways. Well, I'm working on that. So, like, like I said, well, you, we talked about that debate with the wacko vegan. Oh, my God. That was my favorite one you've ever done. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know when this took place, but I just no, discovered it. No, it was recently. It. it was like two weeks ago. I just discovered it a couple of days ago. But you are debating this guy. And uh, you, by the way, you played this brilliantly. Where you just had this, like, little smile on your face, <laughs> and you let him talk. And this guy was saying that you've never met a vegan like me. Not only do I not think that you should eat meat, because you were talking about the animal kingdom, what right. about the animal kingdom? Like in, in the world, he was like, oh, I don't think the animal kingdom should exist. Right. <laughs> I think we should replace it with human infrastructure. He was saying that he thinks that all animal prey, prey predators and prey, that's all problematic, and we shouldn't have any of that. So he's for eliminating all animal life. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of bizarre. It's like I was just like I don't even have to say anything. It's not even a debate. All I got to do is just let you talk for like. And, By the way, where does this motherfucker think fertilizer comes from? Where where how are you going to grow your vegetables? Like, well, what are you going to do? He doesn't care about that. He, he he said basically, I don't care if you kill billions of creatures to grow avocados. It doesn't matter to me. That that's fine. <laughs> um, even if they were, he said even he went as far as say, even if they were humans, you were slaughtering. To produce crops that I ate, it's fine. But if you feed it for a cow and then kill the cow, that's a rights violation. That's a problem. I'm like, and then he was like, he said he won the debate because I said I probably wouldn't eat a Homo erectus. You know, like he said, well, if we could bring back something as close to human, human Homo sapien, but not exactly trying to get me to say it's okay to eat humans, but but that's the only. That's how he eat. won the debate. That's what, well, that's how he claims he won the debate. So I, can, if you say I don't think you should eat orangutans, right, 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 then right. you're he won. Then he won. <laughs> that, that was the whole thing. It was just like it was just it was just bizarre. I was just it was oh. funny. I mean, it was hilarious. But well, uh, he's in a cult. You know, whether he realizes it or not, he's in a cult, and this cult is not it's it's not based on any objective assessment of the reality of biological life on Earth. It's just not. It's like to say that you think all animal life should die. Well, are you including insects? Because if you include insects, then you're including bees. Then you're, there's no pollination. Yeah, yeah. You know, like what are you saying? Well, I mean, we, our species, we, if there are no animals, we would all be dead too. I right. Mean, everything would be gone. So it's like, you know, it's almost like, well, you don't really seem like you fit too well on this planet, dude. You know? Well, I think that's a deeply unhappy person that's probably very depressed. And also... A contrarian to the point of complete illogical thinking like th the idea that you would think that all predator and prey animals that exist on earth including Africa in the wild uh, like com areas where there are no human beings ever and these animals all coexisted in this very balanced food chain where you have predators and prey and the predators keep the prey animals in check and that there's this like balance in terms of population. The fact that you think that human beings should somehow or another stop that and replace it with human infrastructure. That's basically what he's saying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. pave it all over with a parking lot and, and grow food in a factory. And we'll See if you can find that guy. It's hilarious because I don't think he understands like plants literally survive on biological material that is being broken down by the natural process and converted into fertilizer. It's there's this symbiotic relationship. They breathe in carbon dioxide and breathe out oxygen. We breathe in oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide. The more carbon dioxide, which is a, a real problem with the whole climate crisis thing, is the Earth's literally never been greener in observable history. 
right now with the higher levels of CO2 in the atmosphere, you literally have a greening of the earth. The whole thing is super complicated. And to try to boil it down into some very easy to follow way because it supports your ideology is what most people are doing. Yeah, Jamie, if you go to my Instagram, like a couple back, like, uh, there was You'll that see guy. See, I think it's like I've, I take on the final vegan boss or something yes. like that. It was like, you know. did you put those seed oil bottles behind? No, him? he did. It was his because he, he's a big promoter. He's, he thinks, that, you know, there, there's a whole argument about, you know, you should be drinking gallons of canola oil and it makes you healthy. So he did this. Give me some volume and, and refresh this so I could hear what this guy says, because it's, it's really funny world into non-existence right like i think the wild i think the natural world is actually morally problematic and i advocate for its non-existence <laughs> Go can you expand upon that what does that mean you advocate for getting rid of the natural world and we live in a oh in absolutely a, okay. yeah the, the, okay. the natural world is filled with death and destruction things i find morally problematic so why wouldn't i what would you replace that with human infrastructure human infrastructure and we do a, and you're saying we would do a better job as humans yeah i would even go so far as i think the the end goal should be to ditch this ball because it's a liability in and of itself but <laughs> a lot of people might find that problematic it's fine people are free to think that i have a weird position just on that show like do you see where he's coming from there i haven't given this i can i can see his argument i would disagree with that pretty well, i don't think you, you know to, that if you make human infrastructure over where there is usually a huge amount of suffering and death and rights violations, most likely this well, year. That. So I guess if we're calling a rights violation a lion eating a zebra, is that would that fall under your definition of a rights violation? On my definition, yeah. Okay, interesting. So who's the other guy? Obviously, that is a. I'll tell you this. So the other guy is a name. He's a he's a vegan activist. His name's James Aspie, and he would just be like a drug addict, and now he's vegan, and and he was like. He made this like rap video saying I wouldn't. I was afraid of him and wouldn't debate him. And I, I, I was like, okay, whatever. So, so he, he wanted, but he wanted a partner to, to debate with me. And I said, I don't go bring somebody on. And this, this is the other guy he picked as his backup. As his, and I'm like, he's probably regretting he brought this guy on now because he's like such a wacko. But uh, well, that the guy that you're the other guy, not the final vegan boss, but yeah. the other guy is like, don't you see his point? Exactly, exactly. Rights violations? Yeah, exactly. Rights violations. So a mountain lion eating a mule deer is a rights violation? Well, then I asked him, I asked him, because I, then I go on to ask him, I said, well, what about the lion that needs to eat? Doesn't he have any rights? He goes, oh, I don't care about them. I'm like, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> so let's eat them. Let's eat the lions. Yeah, let's well, only eat predators. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's a rights violation, that's too. That's a rights violation, too. Yeah, they're, 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 they're bizarre. It's kind of Well, crazy. it's just a complete... It, it's convenient thinking that's not based on facts. And it, it, I mean, it's one of the things that's been discussed ad nauseum, but Ted Nugent covered yeah, it. Yeah. That if you want to kill the most things, eat a vegan diet. If you're thinking, like, you made this argument that one cow, like, one cow is one life. And it's probably better to eat cows because if you eat a cow, that's an enormous animal. And you could eat that cow for like six months. Yeah. How long, how long does an elk last you, Joe? Months. Yeah. Months. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just so I was hundreds just, of pounds. Yeah, I was just in Oregon, and that's the end of the Lewis and Clark Trail, right? Mm-hmm. And you read back there. Have you ever read like the history of the Lewis and Clark Exposition? Yes. Those guys were eating up to nine pounds of meat a day when they had a lot of game. They would like they had thirty-one dudes, and they would go through like every day. They go through four deer, 
or an elk and a deer or a, lot a of buffalo bear, they ate a lot bear, of bear and stuff like that. Have you ever eaten yeah. bear? I've yeah. never had it. Yeah. Oh, how's it taste? I got some here. You can I'll have some. some. I'd like to try it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I'll, be, I'll give you okay. some. Awesome. Yeah. Cam Haynes shot a bear and he turned it into pepperoni sticks. What kind of bear was it? Was Black it? bear. Black bear. Okay. Yeah. But you can eat grizzly bears too. The problem with bears is well, not the real problem in get, society is that people view them as what uh, my friend Steve Rinell likes to call charismatic megafauna. Yeah. Because we think of it as like Yogi Bear and only you can prevent forest fires and, you know, teddy bears and all that shit. Yeah, not teddy bears. But, yeah, they're <laughs> fucking giant predators. But when you eat uh, grizzlies and you eat um, particularly brown bear that are coastal, which are the really large ones, they're eating a lot of fish. And they might taste like shit. Mm. Whereas if you get a black bear that is munching on blueberries, they're sensational. Steve Rennell says it's some of the best meat he's ever eaten in his life. And when there's a video of him, see if you could find uh, Steve Rennella blueberry bear. Um, so they specifically target these fall bears that are eating blueberries. And when he opens it up, he says they smell like blueberries. Mm. Their fat is purple. And he said the meat is delicious. So this is an interesting thing because so this is like you oh, yeah, can see. This. So that's a. Uh, so this bear. is him, right? What that's he's Steve. doing now. Yeah, this is Steve after he's shot the animal, and these are pieces of meat that he's quartered up. And so he's taking this fat, and um, this fat has a blue. See how it has like a blue hue to it? Yeah. That's from the berry. And it, give me some volume. Does it say anything? So he's going to start. Steve, he's up in Alaska or something like that, isn't he? Well, he uh, lives in Montana, oh, okay. but he has a, a fish shack in Alaska. And uh, I think, I believe he was hunting them in uh, Alaska. Because that's where, you know, like, you just, you, he's, he'll specifically target them where they're eating blueberries. Getting into the sirloin here, but I just want some rare, some red meat. There's some good stuff. And so what he's doing now is he's going to use a jet boil. That's right on the hip. Yeah. Yeah, and he's going to cook the meat cut in the fat. Yeah, kind of. So that fat, if you look at it, it's got like a blue hue to it, like a, a yeah. reddish blue hue to it from blueberries. So he cooks that down, gets the oil, gets it fat, and then he dunks. Another way you can do this, you can actually put. So he gets a bunch of hot water. melted fat and then, mm -hmm. he, then he cooks it. It's like confit, yeah. like a confit like duck, yes. You have to make sure you cook it to 150 plus degrees to avoid trichinosis. Yeah, yeah, right. I forget what the number is. That fat will wind up sitting on top of the water. But for deep frying meat, it's better to have pure oil. But if you just wanted oil out to drink, just if you needed like, you know, a quick energy charge, you can do it that way a lot faster than rendering it like this. My brother one time I watched him, he like rendered a, a mug full of bear fat and just drank it like coffee. That's how good that <laughs> stuff is. And hunters like Daniel Boone, I mean that guy would shoot bears just for oil. You could sell the stuff, it was a marketable commodity. You can continue to cook these fat pieces down, 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 and they'll just want to be in crispy little treats like little pork. How hard is it to, bear, to get a bear tag? Like It's not that hard, depending on where you go. They're, they're overpopulated in a lot of areas. Really? Okay. You want to hear something crazy? What state would you think has the largest population of bears per capita? Per capita? Yeah. Take a guess. Yeah. Per capita, Wyoming. New Jersey. New Jersey? New Jersey has a real oh, bear problem. There's a lot of people live in New Jersey. I know. A kid uh, a few years back at, who was going to Rutgers got killed by a bear out there. Wow. Yeah. Like black bears? Or black bear, yeah. Black bears are more likely for some reason to kill people for food. 
Whereas brown bears and grizzly bears, generally they kill people because they get startled or it's a mama and her cubs. I had a black bear walk through my backyard. It was like, got it on video. It was like up in Washington. It's pretty like, cool. Yeah, it was pretty good. My my uh, my spouse was taking a bath. She heard the dogs bark and she looks out there, there's a freaking bear walking. I was out of town. She's like, oh my God, there's a bear. But the interesting thing, you know, it's about the blue, you said about the blue stuff and the fat. So, and I, Jamie, I've got a paper, I think it's from Stefan Van Vliet about phytonutrients in meat. So we talk about phytonutrients, right? You gotta, you gotta get all your plants, get your phytonutrients. Meat actually contains thousands of phytonutrients. So when those animals graze, they actually absorb that phytonutrients and it goes into their fat, into their tissue. And so you actually get it in, in almost as much or even more than you can get in plants because we we ignore that. But meat, like uh, Stefan Van Vliet, who was a researcher out of initially out of Duke, he's not like Utah State, um, showed that meat has something like 50,000 unique compounds. It's not just amino acids and a little bit of you know vitamins and minerals. It's 50,000 unique compounds and many of them are phytonutrients so it's pretty wow. amazing so because like a bear can eat a hell of a lot more than there i can is. right yeah health promoting phytonutrients are higher in grass-fed meat and milk but you don't necessarily gravitate towards grass-fed i do both you know you it's, it's one of those things that you know i mean i don't know what your opinion is on taste i mean i know you like a lot a lot a lot of elk and so i you know i get it's kind of funny because i become like the meathead guy right like everybody yeah. i get a lot of ranchers to send me stuff they're like here have some for have some meat, have some free meat yeah. i'm like hell yeah i'll eat that stuff and I get, you know, I get a little bit of everything. I, I get some really crazy stuff. Like there's a, there's a, well, one in Colorado, Colorado Craft Beef, which Jocko has invested in. He's mm-hmm. they're, they're part of that partnership. Um, they got really good meat, but it's 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 you know it's pasture raised, and then they feed it, and they finish it out themselves, and they have their own facility. But there's like one in like Montana. They they finish their cows out on uh, sprouts, which is kind of interesting. And mm. the sprouts can grow like. You don't even need light. All you need is water, and you grow, and they, they grow very massively. And so, this guy said in a building that's like forty by sixty, he can grow enough sprouts to finish out four hundred head of cattle, which just takes wow. up almost no room. It's like amazing. So, it's called McCafferty Ranch Beef up in Montana, and they're trying to you know trying to spread this because you think about we're talking about how do we sustainably feed people more meat because I think that's a real issue, and that's you know one of those things that's that's out there. So it's kind of because I I think. You know, again, I don't think everybody needs to be on carnivore, but I do think we should probably eat less junk food and more meat. I mean, I think that would be a clear win for for society in general. And it's like, well, how do you do that? I mean, we used to have, you know, this is this goes back to the beef checkoff. I mean, their job is to promote beef, but since 1977, our beef consumption in the U.S. is down like 30, 40%, and yet diseases are going up. So it's like mm. the exact opposite direction. And literally... Like half a million ranchers have gone out of business since the 70s. I mean, it's like, you know, we talk about 3,000 ranches or 3,000 farms closing in in the Netherlands. Half a million have gone out of business here in the U.S., which is crazy. So I'm always trying to support your local rancher, you know, what, whatever your preference is. But, you know, get these guys out there because, I don't know, I mean, these guys are good. I mean, this like everybody else. I mean, the ranchers are hardworking people. I think they're one of the backbones of this country. I mean, you know, you get people that, that feed you. I mean, what yes. it was, because it used to be back in, you know, 200 years ago, Everybody had pr- produced their own food. Now you got like two percent of the population feeding all the rest of us. And I mean, you, you know, I mean, I had Walt Harris, uh, oh, Will Harris, Will Harris, yeah, 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 Will Harris, yeah, and his uh, yeah. sorry, Will, and his daughter uh, Jenny on recently, yeah. and they explained. And I've had Will on twice, and okay. he explained his uh, situation where he developed this regenerative farm from what used to be an industrialized farm right, and how right. difficult it was. Yeah, I'm reading his book right now. It's, it's amazing. Book, by the way. Yeah. It's Will's, amazing. Uh, I've interviewed Will before, too. And I've, been, I've interviewed all these regenerative guys, and I'm totally for that. I think it's wonderful. It's great. It, it improves the ecosystem. It's like 
something we need more of. It's just, you know, incentivizing the guys. Because a lot of the guys that are on, like, more kind of a, a commodity beef, as he likes to call it, he doesn't like it anymore. But a lot of those guys are like, I, I just, I'm worried I'm going to go out of business if I try this. Because maybe they're maybe they're up in North Dakota where it's snows all the time and like where am i going to get the alfalfa and the hay to feed this stuff and it's just it's kind of a you know it's well you have to do what you have to do yeah he's lucky he's in georgia well he's in a good place he's like he admits i've got perfect land for this and not everybody has that so but he's also recreating nature in a contained environment which is really what we should all be striving for what we want is these animals to exist in a way that's ethical humane and that they exist in a way that they have existed for hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. And that's how they're healthy. And you, if you eat that, you will be healthier. There's no pesticides, herbicides, no, no bullshit involved. Well, that's the other thing, because you've heard of glyphosate, right? Yes. So they spray it on everything. They've been spraying it on everything since, I don't know, the 1980s or something like that. Now it's showing up in your urine. Yeah. And it's most of it accumulates in, like, grains and legumes and stuff like that. that's where it's most densely found so if you want to avoid that stuff don't eat that stuff eat you know more of a meat base because because mammals basically you know break it down so it doesn't really show up in their meat and their milk very much it's very very limited but it's you know it's like these guys that are do regenerative they don't they don't need any herbicides they don't need any pesticides so yeah get rid of all that stuff saves them money in the long run but it's 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 like like they said you got to go through the threat of going out of business for five years or six years before you can make it which well, is it took challenge. him like 20 years to yeah. convert that yeah. farm yeah which is a, an amazing task that he achieved and but because of that he's like a shining light to all these people, well, that we should, are, I mean, we should subsidize that stuff. Is what we should do instead of 100%. subsidizing all these wheat and grain and corn commodities, which go into you know potato chips and garbage. Yeah, well, that's uh, what's crazy about you know we we demonize Russia, but Putin banned GMO foods. Well, do you see what they did in Italy? Maloney said no, no lab grown meat because yeah. that's another thing. You know, that's because you know the, the plant like people have caught on to the Beyond Burgers and the Impossible Meat. It's just all ultra processed garbage, and nobody and, and the people are speaking their, with their with their wallet, which is. When I look at when I, you know when I look at all the corporate sort of malfeasance and the and the corporate influence you know the, the corporations own the politicians well, you, you got to know that I mean they yeah. they're paying the politicians and you know in, in more in one way or the other and it's like what can I do as a as a what can I do as a lone individual and it's like all you can do really is vote with your pocketbook and just every time you go to the store and you buy that bullshit that crappy food you're putting more money in their pockets and they, yes. and they have more power over you. And so I'm just like, you gotta, you gotta turn it around. And so I'm yeah, in a perfect that. world, they would invest all of their money into regenerative farming and they would change. If people change their diet and they realize, look, the only thing people are buying is grass fed meat and yeah. organic vegetables, all from regenerative organic farms. If that really became something that was sustainable, they would try to pursue that. Yeah, no, I think, I, th- I think, the market will dictate where things go, and it's just convincing the market that, hey, look, you know, if you want to continue to be sad and depressed and miserable, keep doing what you're doing, but you got to change it, you know, and you got to make a big change, and that's what, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're be told not to do it. Just like that USDA study, hey, 91% processed food diet, that's A-okay, keep eating this way. <laughs> so crazy. It is crazy. But it's all, that's why what makes that sort of propaganda so insidious. It's like you're literally holding back people from gaining health and gaining control of their health. And you're, the, the evidence is clear in terms of if you just look at what people used to look like and what they look like now. Something's wrong. Something's really wrong. And all that comes from diet. Yeah, 100%. Sedentary yeah. lifestyle and diet. Well, that's, but I mean, I will say this, and because you, I mean, I'm sure you agree that 
What distinguishes healthy people that age in a very healthy manner? I mean, diet is important, and I'm a huge proponent of diet, but physical activity and, and, and exercise is yes. such a huge... I mean, I don't care what diet you are. You need to be taking care of your health. And, and I think, you know, because I, I hear it all the time. Oh, you're in your 50s. You need to slow down. You need, to, you not, you need not be doing that stuff because you're going to get hurt and it's time to get down. But, I, I mean, I've heard that since I've been 20 or 30. Oh, you're 30. You've got to slow down. I'm, yeah. I think once you lose capacity, like, you know, if, if you say, like, my 100% was here and then you say, I'm not going to do 100% anymore. I'm just going to do 90%. Well, that 90% is now your 100%. Yeah. And then you keep doing it. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, walking down the street is now a, a chore, you know. Right. And you see so many people. It's like... Uh, I had a guy talk to me about, I thought it was a good, this guy named Ted Naiman, he's a doctor that I interviewed one time. He said, you know, what happens is over life you have this sort of spectrum of things you can do. This is me laying in bed and this is me doing backflips, right? And then it gets smaller and yeah. smaller and smaller. And eventually you're like, all I can do is walk around the house and then all I can do is lay in bed and then you're dead. So you need to keep this yes. as broad as possible. And that's why I say when people say, you need to slow down. I'm like, bullshit, man. I'm gonna, you know, you gotta be trained. You gotta train smart you don't get hurt. But you need to push yourself. Well, also, you, if yeah. anybody watches your workouts, yeah. clearly you don't need to slow down because yeah, you're doing yeah. some pretty extraordinary right. yeah. stuff yeah. and you're deep into your 50s. Yeah, which yeah. it's like you. When we, the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah, and when we were kids, we were told that when you get into your 50s, it's over. You know, it's. Have you ever seen the those images where they show the Arch, Archie Bunker and Judith yeah. Bunker? Yeah, when they're like, and they're like, they're like thirty eight. I'm like, shit. Fred they look Sanford like, was like forty eight when he amazing. was on Sanford and Sons. It's crazy. Yeah, big belly, gray hair. I, yeah. I can't believe that stuff. Yeah. They weren't healthy. They didn't yeah. take care of themselves. Yeah, that's amazing. They, they didn't work out. But well, if you look at some people today, like yourself, and it's like there's well, a whole you, new standard. Well, you look at like guys like Stallone and and Schwarzenegger. They're in their mid seventies now, and they're still like. Yeah. I mean, granted that you know they're taking stuff, but I mean. At the same point, we've never had a time in human history where we've experienced people that are pushing it that way and still training hard into the late years. And I've seen, you know, I've seen people like in their 90s. I saw a guy who's 91 years old. He's deadlifting 405 That's for amazing. a triple at 90, and he only weighs like 148. That's incredible. It's like, where did this guy come from? Right. So it's like, what is going to be possible? And you know, you know, like I said, I don't know. I always. The longevity stuff, I was like, I don't know. I mean, I don't think anybody really, really knows. I think you're just speculating. And my thing is like, let's get healthy today. Let's stop being sick and then and then just keep doing that. And then if, if you live extra long, great. But, you know, because a lot of people say, well, if you eat a carnivore diet, you're going to die of a heart attack at 60. I'm like, I don't know that that's true. I mean, maybe I will, but I don't think that's, I don't think we have enough data to support that. What I can say is like, if you're sick, you're diabetic, you're fat, you're high blood pressure, I can fix that by diet. Let's just do that. And I think we would just focus on that instead of like protecting people from cancer when they're 90, yeah. which is like, you don't even know. It's just, it, the, the evidence is so bad on that stuff. Well, what we know, what you can do for what you are right now, where you are right now, that if you change your diet and you eat healthier foods and you exercise, you'll feel better, you'll be better. That's a fact. Yeah, clear. Whether or not you're looking at, like, look, clearly these people that are eating off the Twinkie tree, they're not worried about being 150 years old either. Like, that's this is nonsense, and that's a, a bullshit argument. Like, you're going to get off a heart attack, you're going to die young. And, and what, your sedentary lifestyle, eating fucking Oreos, you're going to be okay? Well, you, I mean, there's some people that say we've only got a limited number of heartbeats, and I don't want to. Yeah. You've heard that argument? I've heard that. I'm just like, what? you got to be crazy. But that's based on who and what. Like, based on what? Says says who? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. You, do, do we have a number of calf contractions that you're allowed to have? <laughs> your heart is a muscle. Like, who says? If the, your heart is healthier, 
because your whole body is healthier, you're more metabolically healthy, I would imagine that everything's healthier. Your brain, you're like people that are fit and older, their brains work better. Everything works better. Yeah, it's just good. Well, let me. Hey, hey, Jamie. There's a picture of a gal with blonde hair. Do you see that one? I just want to. I just want to show this gal because it's quite interesting. Because people are asking, "Where's the, the the people that have been doing carnival for a while?" So this is. There's a rancher. Her name is Maggie. I can't remember. Maybe Maggie White or something. She's up in Alberta, Canada. She's been doing supposedly a carnival diet since she's like 15. She's now 82. And if, if you can find a picture, she just looks like that's her. She's 82. That's insane. And she's busting her ass working on a ranch every day. Uh, she's learning Spanish because she's getting tired of how the, the Canadian government is screwing her answer. She wants, she wants to move down to Bolivia and start a new ranch in Bolivia. She's 82. Learning <laughs> she's Spanish. She's starting a new ranch in Bolivia at 82. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's, that's, that's a current picture. And a friend of mine went to go visit her and like looked at her birth certificate and her driver's license and verified. She, that, and that's literally what she looks like at 82. So it's like, Well, that's 82 cool. years of no bullshit in your right, body right, and being right. physically active. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. It yeah. can do that for you. So we'll see what happens. You know, Like I said, if the vegans are right, we're, you and I are dropping dead of a heart attack in six months and, and you They're going to drop dead too. Listen, well, well, that's, that's the funny nonsense. thing. So I had a, you know, talking about debating the vegans. I, well, I, I used to not do it because it was such a waste. I find it was a waste of time, but now I'm kind of humoring it just because, I don't know, I guess I'm bored. But Well, listen, <laughs> if you can get a result like the guy with the canola oil behind him, that's amazing <laughs> entertainment. It was. I thought it was. It, it didn't, I didn't learn anything except how crazy these people are. But I had a guy that I was like, you know, he's saying, well, you know, you're going to get cancer or heart disease. And I said, hey, well, what, what do you think vegans are dying of, right? What do you, what do you think they die of? And he goes... Well, I don't know, skiing accidents? And I was like, that's bullshit, man. <laughs> They're all tired of skiing. So right. if they didn't ski, they'd live forever. Right, right. So I, I, I go, that's so, so I looked it up and I looked I, I looked up studies that actually had endpoints of death on vegans. And number one cause of death is heart disease and cancer. It's like you guys have the same thing as everybody else. So all you gotta do all those years of suffering and farting and <laughs> pretending, you know, virtue signaling for what? You die, drop dead anyway. Well, so another kinda... part of the problem is they've become attached to an ideology that's very difficult for them to escape. Yeah. And yeah. when they do try to escape that ideology, they get attacked. Oh, it's amazing. It's by it's their vicious. people. It's oh my vicious. God. There was this one vegan influencer who ate a piece of salmon. Yeah. And just felt was it a girl? amazing. Or I believe no. so. Yeah, okay. And then they started fucking attacking her and she was crying and oh but it immediately started feeling better yeah. because she's giving her body what she needs how many of these people are suffering and how many like if you think of the vitriol that comes from the vegan community and so much anger and so much hate yeah. and and hor just horrible things they say about people what how much of that is based on like hurt people hurt people right how much of that is based on them being in pain and them being in agony whether it's mental anguish because their brains not functioning well their bodies not fun they're overwhelmed with inflammation their guts are filled with fiber well i mean if you imagine like if you literally like believe the ideology really hard you literally hate almost all of humanity. It's like every 99 out of 100 people you see, you're like, I hate you because you're a murderer. Right. You know, it's just like, how do you, how do you even live in that society where you literally hate every human being around you? I mean, it's got to be crazy. It's not good for you. Yeah. That's sure. not good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there was a guy in that movie Game Changers, you know, that vegan mm -hmm. sports film. And uh, he was, he was, he was, he was going to be in the movie. They had, they had filmed all this stuff. His name was Tim, she Tim Sheaf. He was like an obstacle course, like, you know, those, obstacle race Ninja guys, things. right? Ninja guy, yeah. American Ninja type thing. 
And he was like the vegan prince, like they loved him. And then he said, he got sick and he was like, I couldn't do it anymore. And they like literally threw him out of the movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, well, there's so many stories of that. Yeah. That's what's fascinating. There's so many stories of people who were vegan that had to abandon it, including a lot of celebrities that have come out. Yeah, yeah. And when they do that, they get attacked. They get attacked viciously instead of people going interesting. That's an interesting point of data. Instead of saying it that way, you're going against an ideology. It's not about facts. It's not about the reality of the science or what we know about nutrition in the human body. It's about being attached to this ideology that makes you superior morally to the people that are around you. Yeah, it's a, I always laugh when they say, I'm going to eat this guilt-free whatever salad. I'm like, no, it's, there's a lot of things that die to get you that salad. But yeah. they're just like, oh, those, that, that doesn't count or, you know, it's kind of... Kind of crazy, but I mean, you know, but they'll point out there are some, I mean, there literally are people that do reasonably well on a vegan diet. I mean, yeah. you probably see, I, I, they always, I don't know if you know, I mean, I'm sure you know him. They talk about Nate Diaz, you know, he's a UFC he's not fighter. vegan. That's what I heard. I, he no. eats fish and stuff like that. Yeah. But they always point he to Nate eggs. Diaz, right? They point to him as the, the, the guy. And no. Like uh, Novak Djokovic, who also is not vegan, but they keep pointing to him. It's just kind of like, because he also eats fish and stuff well, like that. Well, how about that. when they put athletes on vegan diets, they get these catastrophic injuries. Yeah, yeah. Well, because, even Cam Newton was, was yes. the prototype for that. I mean, he's There's a bunch of those him. guys yeah. because you're not getting a lot of the things that you need. You're not getting creatine you're not, unless you're supplementing. You're not getting... You're not getting tar taurine, carnosine, carnitine. I mean, yes. all these things that are either conditionally beneficial or absolutely needed, and, and you're just not seeing that. So we see that. Like there was a, a depression study, Stanford University 2018, People with major depressive disorders have low levels of carnitine. Where do you get carnitine from? You pretty much only get it from animal products. And so it's just like, it's like your brain turns back on. These people say like their brain reset when they, yeah. when they got the right food. So Yeah. Well, listen, man, uh, I'm glad you're out there preaching the gospel and, uh, and I'm glad you're still alive all yeah, these yeah, years yeah. later. Still, <laughs> he's still healthy <laughs> and everything's fine. And uh, I think what you're doing is important because I think uh, people need to understand that We've been kind of hoodwinked in more ways than one and that there's a you can kind of follow the chain of evidence and you could figure out how this happened and why this happened. And it's not to preserve your health. And it's, it's not it's not evidence based. And when you look at the real evidence that supports vegan diets and and supports that meat is bad for you, you find out that that's a bunch of chicanery, too. Yeah. There's a lot of bullshit going on there. And so I'm glad you're out there, Sean. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate giving me uh, the platform to talk on this joke. I think, like I said, it's literally. It's helping people, and I think anything that helps people, we should be in favor of. And, and like I said, I think when because we're seeing people are like saying we need to shut down meat, we can't eat it anymore, and yeah. I think that's a really it's going to have some really bad unintended consequences. I, I agree. Back. So tell everybody where they can find your content and your social yeah, media. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, first thing, company rivero.com, R E V E R O. If you want to, you know, get, get your health taken care of, uh, all fifty states. Um, I'm on social media: Instagram, Sean S H A W N Baker B A K E R, nineteen sixty seven. On Twitter, I'm at S Baker M D. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel. It's Sean Baker, MD, and that's 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 mostly where I'll be. All right, brother. Thanks for being here. Thanks, appreciate you. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Bye, everybody. everybody.